World's Finest Podcast, Episode 29. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. Good evening to you. And how are you, sir? Uh, just happy to be off work. Yeah. For once. Because I swear, <laughs> it seems like I'm there every day. Uh-huh. Probably because I am. What about you? Uh, Anything? you know, n- nothing new here. You know, just relaxing. Very long weekend for me. I'm uh, And by long weekend, I mean I've had like um, nine days off, something like that. <laughs> I uh, I've those... been on a vacation in three years. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for those of you that don't know, I work at a college, so you know, right now we're between semesters. The spring semester just ended. The summer semester begins um, this upcoming week. As you're listening to this, the summer semester would have already begun. Um, and my job, you know, the, the the way it is is if there's no students there, I don't need to be there. So I got a week off, and because we have the holiday this Monday. You know, as again, as you're listening to this, it was two days ago. Um, I've been off since last Thursday or something like that. So, yeah, actual work days, I would have been off five, six, seven days and then throw in a couple of weekends. So, yeah, I've, I've been relaxing. It's been nice. <laughs> I so needed it, too, because I was getting so stressed out at work. And the thing is, is my job should never be stressful. But there are certain elements that were making it stressful, and I'm not going to get into you know the, the you know what that was. Oh, yeah. but, you, you were, I, I read your uh, post in the I need to rant thread. Right. Well, that actually was just one of the small things. There was actually a bigger thing. So yeah, I definitely needed some time off, and you know I go back in on Tuesday, and uh, it'll be good. It'll be good. The only thing I'm not looking forward to is uh, my Tuesdays and Thursdays. I'm going to be working from. 7.30 in the morning until 6 o'clock in the evening. So Ooh. those are going to be some long days. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's not going to be cool. Because, you know, I've said this on, you know, I, I know I've said it on Earth to Net at the show real recently. Um, and I'm sure I've said it on other podcasts, maybe even this one. I, generally speaking, don't go to bed until 4 or 5 in the morning. So if I have to be at work at 7.30 in the morning, that means I have to go to bed, like, at a normal time. And I'm not... My body isn't built for that. I've never been one to go to bed at like, you know, 10, 11 o'clock at night so I can get up for my job at nine in the morning. That's not the way I work, you know, so it's. I didn't used to be be like that. Yeah. But but, uh, last several months, that's changed drastically. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we've seriously in the last week, we have lost five people in our at our front end of our of our supermarket. Mm. So I've been having to cover several different shifts so i've been getting 40 hours a week now i'm, I'm part-time and i'm getting 40 hours a week so yeah hmm yeah i'm not used to it and <laughs> i'm just i'm exhausted yeah i would imagine you know but your checks will look good because you'll be getting some nice overtime i suppose no well, they don't oh. they it's strictly no overtime if you're at 40 hours they tell you to go home oh really yeah oh uh. they, they do not want people getting overtime here because then they get all kinds of corporate messages saying why are people getting overtime and yeah. they don't like to deal with it. Yeah. 
Well, that sucks, Dan. Jeez. Mm. Yeah. But oh well. Oh well. I guess it was a good thing that you got all those uh, reviews for Earth 2 done ahead of time then. Yeah. Before you started having to do all this work. Speaking of which, um, I know I said this at the forums, but I want to say this on the air. Your review of uh, Super Smash Brothers Brawl, uh, not only was it an excellent review, well, very solid writing, but it came so close to making me want to buy that game. And we all know how I feel about the Smash Brothers franchise. Um, mm-hmm. I'm still real tempted to pick it up. I got to tell you, your review was that solid, but I just can't. I don't think I can do it. I just don't you think always, I can. You can always rent it. Um, I don't. If, if, if you so desired. Yeah, I, I haven't rented anything from a video store, movie or video game wise, in a long time. I'd have to. I don't even know where the nearest Blockbuster is. If you want the truth. Yeah. So well, truthfully, I'd... I don't rent games. I've, I've rented exactly two games ever, and that was last week. I rented. GTA 4, just to see how it was, mm-hmm. and Army of Two. Wasn't really enthralled with GTA 4, but mm-hmm. I loved Army of Two, so I went and bought it. Oh, that's cool. So, that it worked out pretty well. It's a very, very fun game. Okay. So, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I, I'm still tempted. I, sell me on this game. Sell me on Smash Brothers. As a single player game. Because I don't play, I don't play online, and I don't have anybody to come over to play with. Is there really any reason I should pick this up? I know in the review you mentioned there's a single-player mode, a single-player adventure game, but, you know, is it really worth picking up if you're not going to use it as a party game? Uh, truthfully, I'll tell you, no. Uh, really? Because I can tell the re- the way you feel, you, you personally probably wouldn't uh, dig it uh, because the single-player mode, while fun, it, it probably only would take you at most 10 hours. Oh, okay. And now it's, that doesn't mean it's not fun. It is. Mm. It's a, it's a pretty good, uh, single player game. It, they put a lot of effort into it. There's some wickedly cool cut scenes. Uh, but you know, it's not, it's not necessarily a game seller, but it's, it's definitely, they definitely put a lot of effort into it. And, uh, I think they pulled it off really well with actually getting a, a legitimately fun single-player mode into Smash Brothers, which, of course, they've never been able to do before. Yeah. Well, that's my problem with the uh, previous game. Uh, game? Games? Mm-hmm. How many of... How oh, many? This is the third one. Third was, one? Melee was GameCube, and then there was the original. Okay, right. Um, okay. Yeah, I've never... I've just never been enthralled by this franchise, because I never felt like it was a single-player game. You know, you can pick up Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter... And, yeah, it's great to play with someone, but you can play those by yourself. The computer is a decent opponent. With this game, I've never felt like it had a real, true single-player mode that was worth going through. It's um, nice that they at least had, they finally, finally added an online component mm-hmm. to it. So yeah, and the, the, the problem is I don't have my router hooked up anymore because it was kind of screwing up. Like, the router was working... Uh, in regards to getting me online to play video games, but mm-hmm. it was slowing down other aspects of my computer. So I'm, I'm, my router right now isn't hooked up, so I'd have to hook it back up and go through all that again, and I, I don't know if I want to deal with it just just to play this game online with uh, you know people who are going to be much, much, much better than me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to get trounced in two minutes anyway, so... Well, that's fine because the matches are all two minutes, anyways. Yeah, yeah. Why did they do that? Do you know why they put a cap on the uh, the time limit? Honestly, I have no idea. 
I I don't understand why they just they limited to that to just two minute brawls. Now, what happens when the two minutes are up? Do are you just kicked back out to like a uh, menu? Uh, you get back. You go to the like the. Uh, it's not really a lobby because you can't communicate with anybody. There's uh, no headsets or anything. But it's like a so and so wins, and then they do. You know, it's like first, second, third, and fourth place. And uh, how do they how do they decide who wins? Just how many KOs they got? Oh, okay. Like if you if you knock somebody off the map. Uh, that's a KO. If you fall, if you fall off the map, you lose a point. So it's plus one for KOs, minus one for deaths and suicides. Oh, okay. Hmm. Eh. Uh, oh well. <laughs> <laughs> now, what, what do you say, have? Th- thank you for the uh, compliment, though, on the review. No, it's it's really great writing. I think the uh, I've always thought Earth Two dot net has had a a, a very uh, What's the, what's the phrase I'm looking for? We've always had really great writers and really solid reviews, but I feel recently the reviews and the writing have just been getting better and better and better, and you've been a part of that. So I just wanted to thank you for that. Ah, my pleasure. Okay. Cool. So you want to get to some emails? Yeah, let's, uh, let's jump into the emails here. Okay. Um, let's see. First today is from John, who writes, Guys, I love, 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 in all caps, the show. I grew up on... BTAS, which sparked my fascination with the entire DC, uh, DCU. I now have a collection of comic books and an encyclopedia of Batman information stored in my brain. It's huh. nice to hear you guys discuss and review one of my favorite shows of all time, all the while taking it seriously. So thank you so much. Due to my excitement of hearing them review it, I've gone out and bought some of the Superman animated series and Justice League DVDs. I know that the JLA will be reviewed much later, but I've noticed something that is bugging me, and I wanted to share my rant. In the animated Justice League series, the Flash is kind of made out to be the youngest, least wise, and least experienced. I'm okay with that to an extent, but every time he gets caught or busted, I ask myself, how in the world could the quote-unquote fastest man alive ever be caught or trapped? How could anyone ever land a punch on him? How could he ever get shot or trapped? Granted, I've only read the Flash in Justice League comics, but you would think a man with his speed and reflexes would almost be impossible to battle against. Yet, in the animated series, we see the likes of big gorillas and amateur henchmen get the best of him. In one second, he'll create a wind tunnel out of running in circles so fast, and in the next, someone stares right at him and punches him in the face. I can maybe understand catching him off guard or from behind, but there are several times where I see something in the show and I say to myself, no way, there's no way that would have happened if he's the Flash. Is this just me, or is the Flash massively underrated in the animated series? Keep up the good po- or keep up the podcast, John. Um... I don't know. Would you would you call him underrated? No, underrated is not the word I would use. Um, although I, I think I agree with John to an extent, especially when I was first watching uh, Justice League uh, back when it came out in 2003. Uh, I think that The Flash was uh, unfairly written in in several ways because he is he's a, actually quite an intelligent person. Mm-hmm. And we don't get to see him uh, showing his intelligence until sometime in I believe it was JLU. Uh, actually, no, I take that back. It's uh, the episode Eclipsed. He's uh, he they sh- they finally show that he's a scientist and yeah. uh, and that he he like he knows forensics. So it takes them a while to get to, sh- to for them to show that the Flash really is a pretty smart uh, kid. But um, overall, I I don't think I think he was written very well, especially in JLU. I mean. You, 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 and I both know what he does in jail. He yeah, is maybe the maybe arguably the greatest moment in that whole whole series. Maybe, yeah, yeah. So, um, what so about you? 
Well, I, again, I don't know if I would call him underrated. Um, yes, I don't think that's the word I would use. No, I think he's a great character, and I think they handled him well, um, all things considered, because the Flash is a real hard character to write. It's like, okay, you have a guy that can run really fast, and that's about it. There's only so many wind tunnels and little tornadoes that he can make with his arms and things like that. You can only do that so often before it just kind of gets boring to watch. Um, and you're right, you know, if he can run so fast, how can he get caught? If he can vibrate his molecules so that he can uh, run through walls and buildings and assumedly other people and stuff like that, there's no way he could ever be caught. So you kind of have to limit his powers. Um, but I guess in a it. way they have to make him so where he's kind of dim-witted. That's, right. that's how they get people to catch him off guard. Right, exactly. I mean, that's that's what I was getting towards. It's like you have to limit his power so that he doesn't come across as like this super all-powerful being that can't be stopped. But you have to do it in a way that he doesn't he doesn't come across, across like a complete dunderhead. But the only way to do it is to, for lack of a better term, dumb him down just a little. Just a little. Like, you've got Batman, who pretty much is never really going to be caught off guard. He's prepared for everything. The Flash, though, he isn't that kind of character. He is someone that's going to react with his emotions. If he sees something that uh, scares him or shocks him or, or breaks his heart, he is going to slow down a little to, 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 to correct that situation. You know what I'm saying? And then the villains can use that uh, brief pause against him. Um, so I think they did a really good job with a character that's, again, extremely hard to write. And, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, I take that back. There is uh, one – there was another moment where Flash really showed his resourcefulness uh, in a better world with the Justice Lords. When they capture the just our Justice League and their dimension, Flash is the one that frees everybody because he speeds his heart rate up to make it look like he flatlines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, he has his moments, yeah. even though he – He's very he's very immature. You know, yeah, we we'd be remiss to not mention that, but that he has his moments where he can really be resourceful and intelligent. No, and I like the fact that he's immature because think about it: you've got yeah. Superman who has to be the stoic leader. You've got Batman who's the creepy guy that hides in the shadows. You've got Green Lantern who is the ex-military guy, you know, play by the rules type of thing. You've got uh, Hawk Girl who's just like bash everything in sight. You've got Diana, who's, you know, this princess, and how would you define her personality in the show? I mean, sorry? D- Diana, Wonder Woman, how would you define her personality in the show? Like, sometimes she thinks with her heart, but sometimes she also has that warrior spirit, right? She's the headstrong one. Right. Um, who else am I forgetting? Martian Manhunter. The Martian Manhunter, again, he's very stoic. He's almost like a... Uh, he almost falls in between Superman and Batman in terms of personality. And then you've got the Flash, who gets the, you know, he's not a rookie. I mean, because we know, because he we saw him in the Superman cartoon, if we're going to assume that was Wally and not Barry, right? And we have to. Right, exactly. So it makes sense that he's the one that's going to bring the fun side to it. He's going to be a little immature, make the stupid jokes. I mean, he's the right character for that. If they would have done that with any other character, it wouldn't have worked. So... Yeah, it, it, I, I love The Flash. and I mean, seriously, that cartoon made me fall in love with that character. And I had read the comic on and off uh, when uh, Mark Wade was writing it. I loved his run, but this uh, cartoon made me love the character even more. Our next email is from our longtime listener, Chris, who writes, Hey, Mike and James, thought I'd drop you this uh, a line this way instead of via the forums for old time's sake. Just had a couple things I wanted to toss up. 
in response to the discussion of about how Lois never suspects Clark, part of his part of it is the change in demeanor, and nighttime shows just how well he can change his voice. You're right, Mike. No one captured that like Christopher Reeve. There's another side to it, though. Lois doesn't need to think about Superman's identity because she already knows it. He's Kal-El of Krypton. He has a home up the, at the North Pole and wears red and can travel all over the globe in a single night. This bears looking into. He's not like Batman who wears a mask to hide his face. Everyone knows what Kal-El looks like. This has been brought up in the comics from time to time. One of Superman's best defenses against people learning his secret identity is the fact that most people don't think he has one, because his name is public knowledge. That's that's that, a really good point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, I have a couple of tries for the DCAU No Prize. In Bizarro's world, there was a debate about how Bizarro wasn't affected by kryptonite, yet his DNA reads like Superman's. Well, when they cloned him, they had Kryptonian DNA. But you usually need to put DNA into an egg cell. So far as we know, there's only two Kryptonian females. Supergirl was still on Argos, and I don't think Mala meekly submitted to egg harvesting while she was there. So they must have put Kryptonian DNA in a human ova and hope the two species are close enough. The DNA may be the same, but the cell structures that turn the DNA into proteins might not work perfectly, accounting for, one, normal Kryptonian DNA, and two, bizarre manifestations, including immunity to kryptonite, or less scientifically but more fun, maybe all of his DNA just got gets re, uh, read backwards. This mismatch. <laughs> I like that. That's awesome. This mismatch between Kryptonians and humans is probably why the demons in Hand of Fate didn't possess Superman, just like PC viruses don't infect Max. Hmm. Uh, I I love all that. I I, I kind I kind of not, don't understand half of what he said, but I kind of do. So I I like that. Well, my only question is, I mean, I have a very 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 limited understanding of you know, genetics and all that. Um, but, genetics. <laughs> right. But I thought that when they cl- make clones, they take an egg and they strip out all the genetic material from it. And then they put in the, 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 you know, the little bit of DNA that they want to clone into the, uh, genetic code list egg. So you end up with an exact duplicate. So, I mean, there, and I don't know if it's exact or if there are little variations. So if someone could, uh, write in and, and let me know if I'm right or wrong about that. Because if they're using, can help with that. if, I mean, if they're, if they're melding Kryptonian and human DNA, then Bizarro wouldn't be as strong as Superman because he'd have a bit of a human side to him. But if they are stripping out all of the genetic material from the egg, he would be as strong as Superman, but there shouldn't be any genetic variation. So, but again, I, I, by no means I'm an expert. So <laughs> please feel free to correct me. In cold comfort, the cold bomb may have done a 10-mile patch on land, but not in water. There's no cold ray, so it has to work by getting rid of heat. Freeze based the 10-mile estimate on how much heat the bomb could get rid of, but it takes a lot of heat to change the temperature of water. So less water would be affected. Uh, excuse me. So less wa- uh, water would be affected than land. Hence the smaller blast radius. Incidentally, this uh, was this the same weapon that bats added to the Batwing, and used in JLU season one on the Darkheart. He said that uh, he said then that he needed to freeze the Gotham River once, which I didn't remember happening. Uh, yeah, I don't. That, I think that that was just meant to be was just a a one like an aside. Said to, I believe Hawkgirl was who he was talking to. I can't remember. Yeah. Um, maybe it was Wonder Woman. It doesn't matter. But um, yeah, I don't think that ever actually happens on screen in the DCAU, the uh, Gotham River freezing. But. Uh, that maybe that it, maybe that is the same kind of weapon that he used on the dark heart. Finally, as far as creepy moments uh, to go with Freeze's head on the spider legs, I don't know what these 
uh, I don't know if these are number one, but I'll uh, throw them out as contenders for the top five. Both of these are spoilers, but I'm guessing most anyone listening to this has probably watched at least everything available on DVD. Probably. When the Joker takes takes over Tim Drake's body in Return of the Joker, and when we find uh, Raish has replaced Talia's mind with his own and out of the past, which I actually think is creepier than the Joker Tim Drake, uh, possibly because of the setting, possibly because of the romantic angle, and also because it couldn't be fixed by the Batman. Aloha until next time, Chris. Yes, uh, someone over at the forums, I believe it was Mixie, um, had also commented that the uh, the torture scene, Return of the Joker, was creepier than uh, the, the spider-like thing. And, you know, my response to that was, you know, that, that whole home movie scene in Return of the Joker, I wouldn't mm-hmm. call that creepy. That's like, oh my God, did they just fucking do that? Shocking. You know, I look at that scene and what happened to Tim, and I literally want to cry. Because, I mean, you all know how much I love uh, Robin and the whole Robin mythos. So to see that happen to one of the Robins, it just destroys me. And I want to cry. But seeing Freeze's head on spider legs, that's eerie. There's a big difference between, like, bone-chillingly shocking and just that kind of creepy thing. So, But Mixie also did comment that the, the plant babies in House and Garden were creepy and may, in his opinion, be creepier than the spider-like thing. What do you think? What's creepy? Um, uh, head on head on spider legs or plant babies? Sorry, I gotta keep stay with the head on spider legs. But you know the the creepy pod baby plant swamp things that whatever I can't whatever uh, explanation or description you used to describe them back when we first did that episode that mm-hmm. made me start laughing out loud mm-hmm. uncontrollably. <laughs> but yeah. The, those things were creepy, but I still got to give it to Freeze's head. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. All right, next email is from Dimitri, writes, Hey guys, you probably forgot to mention that in the episode Cold Comfort, the disembodied Mr. Freeze was a direct om- uh, homage to the villain Dr. Pretorius in the Mask animated series. He was a madman who had his own head removed from his body and placed on tiny spider-like robotic legs, which could attach to a larger android body not unlike Mr. Freeze. Wiki explains that writer Dwayne Capizzi worked on both Batman and the Mask animated series. I had no clue, so it wasn't a matter of just, you know, that, that I forgot to mention it. I had no... I didn't even know there was a Mask cartoon. I I mean, I know there's, you know, Mask, the cartoon from the 80s, where the guys put on those funky helmets and they rode those, you know, like the motorcycle that would turn into the helicopter and shit like that, but I didn't know there was a cartoon based on the Mask comics and movie franchise. Yeah, um, I knew about... I knew about the cartoon. I, I've seen about three or four episodes of it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it. Yeah, um, after that email came in, I looked it up, and sure enough, the mass cartoon aired before Gotham Knights. So they would have done the head on the spider leg things over in Mask before they did it in, in uh, Batman. So it's either an homage or they were just uh, using it again. Because yeah, they figured no one saw the mass cartoon and they could get away with it. I don't know. <laughs> uh, I know that you all are not too fond of, or I know that you are not too fond about Mortal Kombat games. Actually, I am. I'm not. But what are your thoughts on the upcoming video game Mortal Kombat versus DC Universe? Keep the episodes going. Thanks. Okay. Uh, well, hang on, hang on. Let, let me let me say my thing, and then you can go on a rant. By if all you, means. You wish to. Uh, okay, I've never been a big fan of Mortal Kombat. I've always thought that the gameplay was weak. 
um, and it simply got by on the gore. That said, I appreciate Mortal Kombat for what it did. It brought in the rating system that we now have. So if it did any good, that was it right there. Um, but at the same time, if if the game is known for its uh, its uh, over the top gore, for its you know fatalities, and you can't have that in a Mortal Kombat game, it's not a Mortal Kombat game because you know there is no way they're going to have you know, Batman throwing a batarang through someone's face. They're not going to have Superman frying Sub-Zero to ashes. And conversely, they're not going to allow Scorpion to rip out Wonder Woman's heart. There's just, there's no way they're, they're going to be able to do any of that. My understanding is that the game's going to be rated T, but they are still going to have sort of fatalities. But you know they're not going to be fatalities. There's just going to be some sort of knockouts. That's all they're going to be. You know, so... It, again, that, that's not a Mortal Kombat game. They really just should have went with DC versus Capcom, and then that would have made the way for Marvel versus Capcom versus DC down the line. That, that's what I feel they should have done. But I, I, I give the floor to you, James. I love Mortal Kombat, the franchise. I have pl- there. I have plenty of problems with several of the games in the in the series, i.e., Mortal Kombat Four and Mortal Kombat Armageddon, which. Neither of which should have ever have happened because they were horrible, atrocious, pitiful games. But, you know, Mortal Kombat 2 was awesome. I, I, I will forever hold a, a uh, special place in my heart for that game. Uh, the, Mortal Com- the original Mortal Kombat uh, paved the way for violence being entered into video games. Like, realistic, bloody violence. Mm-hmm. And... You know, it's you can't just look past that. It's it's there. It's a very important game in video game history. Uh, now, as far as this DC versus Mortal Kombat game goes, I'm not going to get it. It like like Mike said, you can't have a Mortal Kombat game without fatalities. You just can't. I'm not going to buy it. It's not. I don't think. And frankly, I don't think the gameplay is going to be all that great either. I mean. I, Mortal Kombat, I believe it was De- uh, Deception, and Deadly Alliance were actually very good games. They they were the ones that came before the the pitiful Armageddon. But Deadly Alliance and Deception really revived the franchise, and and I thought they were really solid games. They had uh, great single player modes and and you know sub games like chess combat and stuff like that. But and I have to assume that the gameplay is going to be uh, similar. Uh, to in, in DC versus Mortal Kombat to the Armageddon game engine, so I mean I have to assume that's what it's going to be like. So yeah, not not going to touch it. Yeah, I mean it would. Okay, I have no problem with it if they were going to use characters from the DCU that aren't opposed to killing, like maybe the DC villains versus the Mortal Kombat characters. So you could have the Joker. Darkseid, uh, Mongol, Lobo, characters like that who kill and maim all the time. And if they got killed on screen, it wouldn't be a big deal. But then again, if you do that, is the game really going to sell? Mm, no, it's not. It's so I understand why they're using the, the heroes here. Um, you know, the big names, you know, they, they want to sell the game. But again, is it worth buying if you can't use fatalities? Mm, no, it's not. Nope. 
But hang on, that said, that said, maybe, and just maybe, this will force them to make the game better. And I, when I say better, I mean in my opinion, um, because they can't rely on the fatalities to put the game over. So maybe the fighting system will be improved. Um, you, you see what I'm saying there? Yeah. So maybe it'll wind up being a really good game, but it still shouldn't be called Mortal Kombat is what, what it boils down to. Yeah. Uh, now, like you said, if this was Mortal Kombat versus uh, I mean, Mortal Kombat, if this was DC versus Capcom, mm-hmm. I would I would buy that the day it comes out. Yeah. Because I've said this before uh, many times. My favorite 2D fighting game ever was Marvel versus Capcom 2 for the Dreamcast. Mm. That game was brilliant. Uh, it was beautiful. You had you could choose from like 64 different characters. Yeah. It was it was so much fun. Mm-hmm. And if they could make a DC versus Capcom game, I would be all over that. Uh, next email is from Eric, who writes, Hey guys, listening to the episode and have some thoughts. First off, Mike, how did you get into Spongebob if you have no kids? I watched one episode with my girlfriend's daughter and wanted it to end so, so badly. The penny thing you mentioned brought back to my mind uh, that the, uh, that I thought Chitara from Thundercats was drawn a little sexy. She's naked in the first episode. <laughs> I must ask, but I must ask why you guys... Are, are reviewing the Gotham Knights and Superman the Animated Series episodes alternately. Is that how the production numbers are sorted out? Well, let's take this one at a time. Yeah. Um, SpongeBob thing first. I honestly do not know how I got into SpongeBob. Um, I'm, I'm trying to rack my brain here, but really, and Jen said this to me earlier today, I've, I've never grown up. I seriously never have. Um you know, I, when it was fresh on the air, I was watching the Powerpuff Girls. I love that cartoon. Um, and from that, I got into other cartoons like Dexter's uh, Laboratory. I almost said Laboratory. Um, <laughs> and, and other cartoons on Nickelodeon and Cartoon Network that would be geared towards the, you know, the younger crowd, the kids. Um, and SpongeBob just happens to be one of them. And I'm going to tell you guys something. I love SpongeBob SquarePants so much. That I actually have a SpongeBob SquarePants uh, toilet bowl seat. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. When you put the lid down, when you put the lid down, it's SpongeBob's face. <laughs> I love it. It's great. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so, I don't. I, I think it was just on, and it caught my attention, and that was the end of it. You know, I I just got hooked. So I do agree with you on the uh, never growing up thing because. My my favorite TV channels are in this order: ESPN, Cartoon Network. <laughs> that, that's really about it. Yeah, I, I I love Cartoon Network. I I every now and then I watch uh, Ben Ten. Uh, I was I obviously I'm doing a I'm co-hosting a podcast about, about cartoons, <laughs> uh, lo- loosely speaking, cartoons right, yeah. in terms in the terms of kids, but yeah, yeah, but still, and I. Fairly Odd Parents is one of my favorite cartoons. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, great sarcastic humor if you pay attention to it. And though, though yeah, I, it, I, hang on, just real quick about the Fairly Odd Parents. I really don't like the fact that they added that new character. The you know, I haven't watched it in so long, so I don't know what what new character you're talking about. So, oh, Cosmo and Wanda had a baby. What? Yeah, there's a baby. I forget the name of it, but there's a baby on the show now. And I saw the movie where they introduced the character, and I refuse to watch it at this point. I think it's oh, ridiculous. that sucks. It's it's 
you know, that's the definition of jumping the shark when you add a brand yeah, new young is. character. So it still may be good, but I'm just not going to watch it. But I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. No, it's that I was just going to keep rambling on about. I just I watch cartoons religiously. I still go back and watch. I've got the first season of DuckTales on DVD. I go and watch that every now and then. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I even and like my latest tirades column was. You know, was on that hideous legend of Zelda. Don't say it. No, no, my ears are burning. (laughs) Yeah, kill it. What did I say? Kill it. Kill it with fire. Yeah. (laughs) I won't say the catchphrase though. Everybody knows it, and it would just make us have an aneurysm. (laughs) Yeah. But, but yeah, but yeah, I still, I, I just, I love cartoons. I do, and I will forever love them. Yeah. Um, but about the uh, Gotham Knights and Superman uh, episodes. We uh we really have to do that do them concurrently because if we did Superman first and then Gotham afterwards or vice versa then we you would miss certain references that uh, each series makes to the other series right. so you know the, and you know they were and they were they were running uh, simultaneously during this time and they, they became the new Batman Superman adventures so you know we have to. We have to, we had to take that into consideration, and so we just did a three two two three thing now. Right. Until, yeah. the, both, until both series are over. Right, and there will be exceptions. Um, we have shoot. I'm trying to think. What are some two and three parters that are coming up? For Apocalypse Super- Now. Apocalypse Now. Right. Um, in fact, while we're let me let me pull up the list of episodes just real quick. Pardon me as I do little, this. Little Girl Lost. Things like that. Little Girl Lost. Which one's that? That's where Supergirl is introduced. Oh, right, right. Um, like, yeah, here we go. Uh, there's Legacy. That's a two-parter, isn't it? And we're, I think we might have to dedicate a whole episode to that, maybe, we, just because of how amazing that episode is. Right, yeah, Apocalypse Now, like you mentioned, James. I mean, so there's some where we might do just, again, Superman just gets just eats up the whole episode, where we might do three Superman and just one Batman. We'll see how it plays out. I have a tentative schedule. Um mm-hmm. But it could go out the window. It really could. Because if you remember, when uh, the Demon's Quest came up, we were originally just going to lump that in with other episodes. And it got to the point where we were like, you know what? This deserves to have its own episode. So that's the way we did it. Yep. So, yeah, that, that'll probably happen again in the future. So. Okay. Continuing the email, uh, Holiday Nights is the second worst episode of Gotham Nights. Uh, the first being Critters. <laughs> um, I... I pretty much agree with that because i know i remember critters it's a horrible 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 episode and now but there's a few others that i'm trying to remember off the top of my head that were pretty bad too um judgment day is one of them that was a really bad episode uh do you remember any off the top of your head that were pretty pretty awful in gotham knights no not really i mean i know we discussed this over at the earth2.net forums about which ones we knew were going to be good but there's other ones where I'm looking at this list and I'm like, I either don't really remember a whole lot of it or I'm worried that it's not going to hold up. Right. And a- as I'm watching more and more of these episodes, I'm like, I don't know. I- this cartoon isn't as good as I remember. <laughs> yeah, but, I unfortunately agree. Yeah, at the same time, I, there's none I can really pinpoint right now. It, when we get there, we'll obviously discuss them. Okay. The Hand of Fate isn't my favorite episode. Sorry, guys. I don't know why you're apologizing. I don't think I think we both graded that one pretty subparly. Yeah, I think to, we did. That's even a word. 
Sins of the Father is a great improvement over the previous episode, but I completely agree with the stupidity Two-Face shows in this episode. The Jason Drake joke you made is actually spot on. Bruce T- company have admitted, am, admitted in the extra section that this Tim Drake is a combination of Todd and Drake in the comics. Mm-hmm. Bizarro's world. Hey, guys, another crypt- kryptonite suit has been destroyed again. <laughs> I wonder how they keep making these suits and how much they're spending to make them. I guess tax dollars at work again. <laughs> Cold Comfort. The look on, of Mr. Freeze is awesome, and now we have a non-sympathetic Mr. Freeze to watch, but that's it. In terms of other scary moments, I don't I don't have any either. Mr. Freeze didn't return until Batman Beyond, so basically the episode is pointless, except for the look. I, for, I forgot to mention how careless uh, Batman and Alfred seem to be in the episode Sins of the Father. I would have thought that Alfred closes the entrance to the cave every time he goes down there to prevent any intruders of possibly going into the mansion uh, uh, throughout there and finding Batman's identity. <laughs> Yeah, you'd think, because if anybody could get into the boat or the car and could somehow activate it, just somehow, there you go. You know, it, it, they figure out the code, they get home, and boom, they're in the cave, and potentially you're right up the stairs. So, yep. But you could chalk it up to Alfred just being careless once in his life. <laughs> it was the only time Alfred was ever careless. <laughs> and look, look what happened. Hey, yeah. look, there was the only time Superman was... At that point, the only time Superman was careless was when he had he dealt, dealt with the kryptonite. So there you go. <laughs> okay, and our final email today is from Phil, who writes, "Hey James and Mike, finally after months of listening to your well-crafted podcast, I have I have managed to catch up with your most recent episode and wa- the watching order. It seemed like an age ago I sat down with my five-year-old son Ryan to watch the Batman that was showing on Cartoon Network here in the UK. It's not a bad watch, but it made me pine for Batman the Animated Series of my younger years, so I set out about acquiring the DVDs. Being a podcast nut as well, as uh, as well, I searched for the show, a uh, show about the subject, and guess what I found? World's Finest Podcast. Yay! I think, yay, awesome. I think you guys were up to about episode 17 or so, and I immediately subscribed on iTunes. It's taken a while to watch and listen to both the cartoons and your show, but Ryan and I have caught up with you, and my two-year-old son, Ethan, is now starting to pay attention to the amazing animation, too. Awesome. I knew... Yeah. I love love hearing stuff like that. Mm. I knew the Batman series went on to expand to Batman Beyond, or Batman of the Future, as it's called here, but I had no idea that the series branched off into the Superman Adventures and eventually the Justice League. After hearing you go on and on about how great the League shows were, I just had to buy those as well, along with Superman. So after shelling out a lot of cash and investing a lot of time into these adventures, all I can say is thank you. I already knew how great Bats was, but you have expanded my world into these other greats as well. Hey, awesome. We're, that's that's really about the highest compliment we can get, don't you think? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I really have nothing to say to it. You know, I mean, seriously, <laughs> the fact that... People hear our show and then go out and buy the other DVD sets because we are praising them. It, it just, I'm literally speechless when, when I hear that um, because it just, it just warms my heart, you know? And what I love even more is that he's sitting down with his boys to, to enjoy this. It's, it's not just him sitting down watching it. He's incorporating his family, bringing them into this cartoon, bringing them into these comic book characters and just creating a whole new generation of superhero fans. Not necessarily comic book reading fans, but just superhero fans. Um, I just, you know, as, as you all know, as it was said a little while ago, I don't have kids, but you know, I do have siblings. And uh, through them, I will ha- most likely will have nieces and nephews, and 
I do already have a, a niece, um, and I'm going to do everything I can to bring her and any future nieces and nephews um, that are brought into my life. I'm going to do everything I can to uh, get them into reading comics and, and loving superheroes. So, yeah, when other people do it, I'm just like, yay. All I can do is clap and say thank you for doing that because the comic book reading, the comic book buying, the superhero-loving population, it really is dwindling. It, it doesn't really grow. I mean, people go out and they see these movies, but then they kind of forget about the superheroes until the next movie, you know? But yeah. when when the people go out there and they actually buy the DVD, or in this case, the DVD sets, so they can watch them over and over and over again, I love it. I absolutely love it. Yes, thank you very much. Um, continuing the email, now now you're up to Gotham Knights, and I must say I love the new look and, uh, and that most of the characters have benefited from retooling. Bats and Bruce have never looked so good. And no one has ever pulled off a mullet quite as well as Nightwing. <laughs> he looks better here than he has in any other incarnation of the character. I always thought he looked a little over the top in the comics. I didn't care for Croc's new design or voice, uh, though. And why does Selina white her face up when she dons the Catwoman suit now? Um, oh, well, it can't all be good. Don't worry. I'll have plenty to say about that when we get to uh, You Scratch My Back later in this episode. <laughs> Believe Um being a big Malcolm McDowell fan, it was great to see him pop up in Showdown as Arkady Duvall, alongs- alongside uh, another great actor, David Warner, as Rachel Ghoul. On that subject, nice to see Raish properly pronounced. It was quite disappointing in- to see Batman Begins get the character names wrong. An otherwise great film, but a minor slip-up. And yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I- when I first heard uh, them say Ra- uh, Raz Al Ghoul, I was like, uh, no. Well, see, that's but, the thing. Nobody really knows how to pronounce it. Is it Race? Is it Raz? Is it, you know even the creators of the character, they, they, I've, I've heard them say it one way. They say it another, no one is a hundred percent sure. Everybody nowadays just says race because of the cartoon, but which it, I think is a testament to the cartoon. Again. Exactly. But, it, but maybe it is rise. I mean, however they want to say it, really, I just kind of throw my hands up in there and go, okay, whatever. <laughs> Although obvious characters such as Two-Face, Mr. Freeze, Joker, and Raish are my favorites, I've always been partial to the ventriloquist and Scarface, especially the episode where he was cured and his old gang hired the dwarf to impersonate Scarface to trick him into believing that uh, that side of his personality is coming back. Uh, that's another episode we'll be reviewing today. Mm-hmm. Have you guys seen the 1978 Richard Attenborough film Magic with Anthony Hopkins playing a magician slash ventriloquist, slowly losing his mind and control to his newfound fame and persona? It's a classic if you haven't seen it seek it out and let me know what you think no what, yeah, i haven't seen it have you no what's it called magic magic i'm gonna i'm gonna look it up on netflix right now just hang on yeah. one second uh well, 19- anthony hopkins i don't think i've even heard of that movie before yeah here i'm looking at the uh description right now uh let's see acclaimed director richard attenborough helms this unconventional horror thriller that reveals anthony hopkins uh uh, years before his Oscar-winning turn as Hannibal Lecter, blah, blah. After bombing in his first solo performance, a magician's assistant, that's Hopkins, holds up with a ventriloquist dummy named Fats and eventually hones his act into something spectacular. But when Fats starts talking back, his master's at his mercy. Huh. Yeah, I'm adding this to my Netflix queue right now. Huh, thanks for the recommendation there. Yeah, I'll have to check that out, too. Yeah. On a side note, I have just started reading All-Star Batman and Robin. What do you guys think of it and Miller's non-canon world of the Bat? I've, I have not read All-Star Batman and Robin. Mike, take this one. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 was, I was real interested in it when it first came out. I mean, it's, it's Frank Miller and it's Jim Lee. It seemed like 
you know, it was a win-win situation. There was no way that was going to suck, no matter how long it was delayed. And unfortunately, the story wasn't doing it for me, um, so I gave it up. Um, but I did read a recent issue that featured Green Lantern, and the Batman knew Green Lantern's weakness. Of course, that's yellow. So what he did was he painted everything, everything around him, including himself and Robin, yellow. So the the bulk of the entire issue is all in yellow. <laughs> and I thought it was a really gutsy move to just have one color throughout the bulk of the comic. Um, and I thought that issue, and I really wish I can remember what it was. I want to say it was eight, maybe nine. Um, could have been even seven. I, I thought the bulk of it was really solid writing. There's a scene involving uh, Robin and Lantern that I won't spoil but it's one of those moments where I was like, whoa, I was seriously taken aback because the issue was really fun and exciting up until that point. And then it took a really violent, dark turn. Um, it fit the book. Don't get me wrong. But it was like this really sudden shift. It was like driving full speed into a wall. Like, I didn't expect that to happen. Where'd that wall come from? That sort of thing. Um, and it changed everything that was going on around these characters. Because um, even Batman was having fun in the moment. And then this, this very as I said, dark thing happens and uh, everything changes. So um, I would recommend seeking that issue out again. I wish I could remember the number of it though. Um, but the rest of the series, I don't know. I get the feeling it's going to be one of those books that individually the issues don't read well, but when you sit down with the collected edition, whenever that comes out, a lot of people are going to be eating their words um, when they previously were claiming that it was the worst comic ever. And all this and that. So right now, I'm sort of on the fence with it, leaning towards the not great side. But when the trade comes out, I'll get it. Well, I have been rambling on for too long now. No, you haven't. <laughs> but, so I'll just say, keep up the good work. And now that I'm up to speed with the show, I'll be emailing my thoughts on great or not so great shows of bat soups and the like. Thanks again, Phil from England. The LexCorp police battle suit is the last word in law enforcement. Once the Metropolis City Council approves the prototype, LexCorp is prepared to build enough suits to create a police force where each individual officer is as efficient as Superman. Trying to put the Man of Steel out of business, Lex? I would think, Ms. Lane, that with your knack for getting into trouble, you'd appreciate a few extra rescuers. <laughs> Touché. Whose side are you on? Now I'd like to introduce you to our test pilot, the SCU's most decorated officer, Sergeant Corey Mills. First up today is Prototype. Uh, in this episode, uh, John Henry Irons, an engineer at LexCorp, uh, designs this robotic, uh, robotic, robotic <laughs> battle suit for the police to use. Um, yeah, I'm stumbling over my words now. I can't wait to see what happens when I actually start getting into my notes. <laughs> Uh, so anyway, the person chosen to test this uh, prototype is uh, is supposed to be the most decorated officer on the Met Metropolis PD. Uh, name's Corey Mills, I believe. Yeah. Um, but Irons has his reservations about the suit since it is just a prototype, and of course the bugs haven't been worked out yet. Uh, Luthor shrugs off Irons and basically tells him it's his way or the highway, and fuck you if you don't like it. Um, after a demonstration of the suit's capabilities, there's an alert heard over emergency radio band that says there's a five-alarm fire at a skyscraper in downtown Metropolis. So Clark sneaks off, changes into Superman, and flies off to save the day. 
while Luthor uh, says it would be an excellent opportunity uh, opportunity to test this battle suit. Uh, Supes and Mills uh, team up and put out the fire, rescue everybody, and uh, when they get to the ground, Superman shakes hands with Mills, but Mills grips Superman's hand a lot harder than he cares for, which kind of takes him aback. Irons, uh, in the next scene, tries to again to warn Luthor that it isn't safe to be using the suit because it's tied directly to his brain, basically. Uh, but Luthor refuses to listen to him, and Irons you know, resigns. He just quits LexCorp right there. Uh, after this, we are taken to Mills' apartment, and his wife is watching news reports. Uh, and these news reports have been actually going on for some time. I believe they start, uh, they've start. they been cropping up showing Mills being overly aggressive towards criminals who have already given up, and Mills' wife uh, thinks he's being too aggressive and, and says, you know, shouldn't you be more careful? And when she walks into the bathroom where he's shaving, we see that Mills was not shaving his face. He was shaving his head in, in order to decrease static discharge with the helmet's direct neural link with his brain. So yeah, Trish, Trish uh, Mills' wife, is not too happy about this. Um, Mills also just shrugs off the notion of this vacation that they've been planning for some time, claiming that he can't leave now that he's getting used to the suit. He even speaks in the first-person plural when referring to himself in the suit, saying, we, we're getting more powerful. He then disappears in the middle of the night to become Robocop's abject disaster of a twin separated at birth and to hunt down a bunch of common thugs. Now, how he has access to the suit at ODAR 30 is beyond me, but I digress. He eventually confronts some thieves with guns, and he pretty much actively tries to murder all of them once they get hostile. Uh, Superman, Superman eventually uh, intervenes and stops him, and they kind of start to scuffle, but Maggie Sawyer arrives and sees the path of carnage that Mills has caused, and she has the suit locked away where no one can use it. Irons, then, in the next scenes, is speaking to Superman about how he tried to warn Luthor about the suit's problems, but he didn't listen. He also tells Superman that Luthor has the kill switch, a key that will short-circuit the suit and stop it. Well, Mills breaks into the holding area of the SCU and steals the suit and goes off to LexCorp where he tries to get Luthor to explain to everyone that he has a purpose, or some other lame cliche. <laughs> Luthor uses the key on him and tries to get security to remove his fried corpse from the building, but he awakens and tries to kill Luthor. Superman then busts in and starts fighting Mills all over the LexCorp building and the nearby uh, Metropolis area. He gets blinded for several minutes, but eventually stops him, and he is sent to us. You know, Mills is sent to us a hospital to get psychological treatment. Uh, in the last scene, we uh, get Irons dis- you know, discussing the suit with Superman, and he f- says, "You know, it, it, was, it seemed like such a great idea." And Superman says, "It still can be if someone's willing to work out the bugs." Hmm, foreshadowing. <laughs> and that's bit, that's pretty much it. So, uh, Mike, um, you know. We've briefly discussed this off the air. Um, would you like to go first? Well, um, I'm so eager to hear what you have to say that I don't even want to speak at all. I just want to give you the floor. <laughs> yeah, um, this episode, it has to be the worst episode in this entire series. I cannot imagine an episode being worse than this. Yeah, this is Superman's The Terrible Trio. Yeah, that's per- the perfect analogy. And it's kind of funny. I actually went back and listened to our WFP episode 16, which is the episode, of course, that we reviewed the Terrible Trio in, to kind of prepare myself for the kind of uh, you know, speeches I'd be making here. But I told you in a private message on the f- on the forums that, you know, I only had a, like a half a page of written notes on a notepad for that episode. Here, I've got two full Microsoft Word pages of notes <laughs> about how bad this episode is. 
Two pages. That's awesome. <laughs> I guess I guess I'll just start with, you know, my my little shtick on the animation. This, you know, it's horrible animation with even worse lip syncing. Uh, there's one animation blunder in particular that I have to point out. Oh, wait, wait, let me guess, let me guess. Does it involve the bank? No, actually it doesn't. Oh, okay, you say what you, you, say what you saw and I'll point out what I saw. Okay. Um, the, the one I'm talking about happens in Luthor's office when Mills busts in there. Okay, you know, he, Luthor has this huge shark tank surrounding his entire office. Um, it, Mills... After you know, uh, Luthor tries to short circuit Mills' battle suit, and then Mills somehow gets right back up. Don't ask me how, and he blasts the shark tank in the office. Mills is standing no more than five feet in front of Luthor, who is pinned up against the tank. Now Mills blasts the tank uh, with this, those lasers, and water comes gushing out, and there's like a 15-foot wall of water just towering over Luthor's head as it washes him across the office. Yet in the very next camera angle, the water is just kind of pouring out, and the wave, in quotes, is like two feet tall, and Mills is just standing off to the side, even though he was right in front of Luthor. Now, first off, how was he not washed away? But second, what happened to the raging wave? Now, plus, as the towering wave is washing Luthor away, he seems to be swept halfway across the room. But in the, that second camera angle, he's like six feet away from the tank. It's just a ridiculous 15 seconds worth of animation. <laughs> it, that was one of those scenes where I was looking at it, and I knew something was wrong, but I couldn't quite pinpoint what, and I didn't have the time to go back and watch that scene again. So I'm glad you uh, fully outlined what was wrong with it. So when I do go back, I can look at it. What I was referring to uh, was a, was the scene where Mills's wife is watching the television uh, when she's watching that news clip of him beating up the bank robbers. Mm-hmm. Well, there's one scene where uh, they cut away from the TV and they come back and the door into the vault is, I think it got knocked down or something or it was open, but now it's closed. You can clearly see the door, but you can see through the door and you can see the money bags laying there. The reason you know the door is there is because you can see that big wheel of a lock you know, you know the typical bank locks that you have to like turn. Yeah. You can see that dead center as if the door is closed, but you can see money bags as if they're laying on the floor behind the door, not as if they're piled up against the door. So there is a door, but there isn't a door. It's it's a glass door, but it's not. It's it was this weird little glitch that I noticed. So I can't believe I missed that. It was something that you know I've seen this episode a couple of times and I've never noticed it before. So you know. This episode has bigger problems, is what I'm getting at. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I think the biggest is Mill's voice actor. Good God. Mm-hmm. He was, you know, we talked about Carcol's voice actor in the last episode. Yeah. This guy just was infinitely worse. Mm-hmm. Any time he should have screamed at the top of his lungs, his voice just topped out for some inexplicable reason. And the best example was when he, you know, Maggie Sawyer, uh, just, you know, basically has the battle suit locked up so nobody can get to it. In the next scene, you know, he's watching TV with his wife in his apartment, and he's like, "No, the suit is mine. They can't, they can't just take it away from me." <laughs> oh, and uh, and Mike, you're gonna love this. The guy who did the voice of Mills is gonna voice Mysterio in the new Spider-Man animated cartoon. Oh no, really? Yeah, 
And the thing is, this guy's voice fluctuates so much that sometimes he sounds like he's 21, and then later he sounds like he's 55. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, if you people haven't seen this episode, first off, don't. But if you've been unlucky enough to see it, then you know that James is telling the absolute truth when he mimics that guy's voice. That's exactly how it is. It's so pathetic. I was watching that scene, and I'm like... There's no emotion here. He's just reading the lines and he's, you can actually tell he's acting. It's not yep. as if that character is alive and breathing and going through these emotions. He's clearly just acting. And it's like, oh man, this is pathetic. Yep. <sighs> and the, the next, the next, uh, I think line that just made me want to bash my head into my, like my computer screen was, it's been recycled. <laughs> oh God! First off, that line is is utterly atrocious, just in and of itself. But then you you throw in his uh, quote unquote voice acting, and it's just uh, <laughs> full body shiver, cringe, whatever words you want to put there. Mm-hmm. <sighs> God, uh, actually, no. Now that I'm thinking about it, if you uh, if you listen really closely in the elevator part of that of that fight scene that ensues after that. It sounds like Mill says, damn it. Oh, really? Yeah. Go back and listen to it really closely. I, I, you'll probably hear it. It's Okay, they're fighting in the elevator, so it's right before... Yeah, they're just kind of struggling ball. around, okay. pushing okay. each other. Okay. Yeah, just yeah, just listen a little, little closer than you normally would. Okay. If, you, if you feel like actually suffering through uh, even 15 seconds of this episode again. No, I watched not this, really. I watched this episode four times to, <laughs> just to get all of these, make sure I got everything written down. Oh, man. <laughs> I watched it once today. <laughs> I shit you not. And that was more than enough, for, at least for this review, for me. Oh, man. The pain James puts himself through for you people. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> what else? I mean, what? like I said, I, seriously, I want the floor to be yours here because my notes, you know, I have notes, but they're going to be nowhere near as venomous as your notes, and I want to hear yours. You know, I'm glad you said the word venomous because this guy is like a poor man's venom. Yeah, it, it's what? If, what the hell happens to this guy? He seems to be acting normal in his apartment, but then as he and his wife talk for about 20 seconds, he becomes more and more of a douchebag, and, and he isn't even wearing the suit. Mm. And then he starts talking like, like I said, a poor man's venom, saying, we're getting stronger, or whatever nonsense he was talking about. No, I, yeah, that's pretty much what he said there, yeah. This is, this is Venom and Iron Man merged into one, but in the DCAU. That's exactly what this character is. And don't forget Fox. From uh, from terrible trio, it, it, you know, it's like what you said. How did we get from A to B? Yeah, it, there's no kind of bridge or anything for mm-hmm. the character. You just, it's a violent mood swing when, you know, they're trying to put forth that this guy is slowly becoming more and more like attached to the suit, but then all of a sudden it's just he's he's immediately just crazed. Yeah, that was that was my biggest gripe with this episode was I think that this episode is the premise is solid. You know, Lex is trying to build some sort of robotic police force or cybernetic police force to push Superman aside. That's what Mm -hmm. he's trying to do. That's a really cool premise. But the execution was, oh, my God, terrible, because, as you said, he, he goes out on one mission and then he's getting in Superman's face right away, and then he's talking to his wife, and then instantly he goes into full-on asshole mode 
and just starts obsessing over this suit. And she, like, how often has he been, you know, how long has he been wearing this thing? How addictive is this thing? What, he's had it on maybe an hour or two and he's already acting like this? The build to that moment where he, he, we finally realize how obsessed he is should have taken like 10 minutes. It shouldn't have been, you know, 30 seconds or whatever it was. It shouldn't be suspicious handshake with Superman and then not going on a vacation with his wife and then saying, we're stronger now. <laughs> like, way too quick. I've said it before and I'll say it again. These are excellent writers that work for these shows. So when they drop the ball, they drop it hard. And yep. this is one of, this is one of the worst that, this is one of the worst episodes they've ever produced. Seriously. Yes. Yeah, and it's, it's, you, it, you, you just look at the character. It's all in Mills. It's all in him. Well, that and the story, but <laughs> and the animation and the dialogue and well, yep. Okay, okay, okay. It's not just Mills, but a lot of it does fall on his shoulders. Oh, because absolutely. The, the voice actor is terrible. There's just, you know, if I if this were the first time I'd seen this episode, I'd think that at least twenty different people were voicing the guy. Mm-hmm. His voice fluctuates that much. I mean, and and uh, you know, going back to the, the the scene where we are first introduced to the guy, you know, when the five alarm fire uh, alert is broadcast over the the emergency band, Maggie Sawyer says putting out fires is hardly in our jurisdiction. But then all of a sudden it is, mm-hmm. because Luthor says something. Because yeah. Luthor Luthor says so. Okay, way to do your job. Yeah, it's. Yeah, the, the SCU, they're not the, they don't deal with, with fires. I didn't get why that was his first mission. Why it couldn't have been, um, I don't know, just a real kind of quick alien invasion that he and Superman could squash. Why it couldn't have been, uh, a, a bank robber, or, uh, excuse me, a bank robbery on the part of Inner Gang. Why it had to be a fire. It should have been something that the SCU is involved in. And speaking of the SCU, why was he stopping any of these crimes? Sawyer and her group, they're all about stopping, you know, those big crimes, like Inner Gang, like mm-hmm. the ones they're doing, like the, like when aliens come to town, they take care of that stuff. But this guy, he's stopping car thieves and bank robbers? That's, that's for, like, your everyday cops, not this RoboCop Iron Man Venom guy. Yeah, he's supposed to be the most decorated officer in the, in the entire SCU. Yeah. And he's, Why is... He- and he's, he's dealing a dime with a dozen criminals. Right, exactly. And then, I don't know. What other notes do you have? <laughs> um, this is, I don't know, maybe this is just, a, I just have a question here about uh, the fire and how Mills put, put it out. Mm-hmm. I don't know much about ballistics. I really don't. And I'll never claim to, but are, are grenades really the best way to put out a fire? Oh, what he was doing was he was suppressing the fire by... Uh, timing the explosions and putting them in the exact right places, he was dropping the floors on top of one another to, oh, to okay. suppress the fire. That's what he was doing. Okay. Well, that, oh. see, that was that one I didn't make, like, a, a rant or anything about. I just had to ask because I didn't know. Maybe that was some kind of tactic I'd never heard of. Yeah, I mean, he destroyed the building doing it, but as you saw, the building was going to crumble anyway. So mm-hmm. he, poten- he actually potentially saved lives doing it that way because... As we all sadly know, we see what happens when a building, you know, catastrophically fails. 
yeah. due to fire and other such disasters. Here, he did it in a much more controlled way, so they can go in there and properly demolish it down the line, so this way it just doesn't scatter all over the place. So that that's one thing they got right. That, that's one thing we can kind of give them. Um, and, and while I'm giving them something, I'll also give them the debut of John Henry Irons. Yeah, I just wish it didn't wasn't in such a hideous episode. Right. Yeah. I mean, I like the fact that it you know there's a little bit of continuity uh, that it, that it leads to an episode we're going to speak about later uh, today. Um, but yeah, could have been a lot better. <laughs> could have been. Yeah. Um, now, yeah, I'll I'll go ahead and give them a couple of things. These are just minor things, but there's some things I had to chuckle at. Um, Superman picking up a shark and walking away with it off screen rather than just hurling it somewhere was really funny. Yeah. The ca- and it, it was great because the camera didn't pan with him as he was walking away. He just walks away like he's walking off stage in a theatrical play. It, that's hilarious. Yeah, he's a stagehand just carrying the foam shark away. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that really was very funny. Mm. Um, and, you know, the and the only point of animation that I actually liked in this episode was the voltage coming out of Superman's mouth. Yeah. That yeah, was that pretty was, cool. That was freaky, yeah. Um, but, getting back to my rants, um, blacklight cannot blind anybody. Mm. Nils explicitly states, you know, that the lasers are blacklight lasers right, yeah. in the beginning of the episode, but blacklight is the among the safest UV light to humans. If black lights were harmful to the human eyeball, then bowling alleys and nightclubs would probably have been outlawed about ten years ago. Superman's not human. Yeah, I'm still gonna go with the. <laughs> uh, it's it's UV radiation. It, that that applies to all beings. So there. <laughs> See, the only way I'm going to attempt to justify that is you got to figure Superman's eyes are naturally super, so they may be more sensitive to the black light lasers. That's that's all I'm saying. <laughs> well, see, that's, if that were the case, then wouldn't he be blinded just by going out in the sun? Yes, I, basically, I see where you're coming from. Superman yeah. should be squinting all the time, wearing yeah. sunglasses. <laughs> Seriously, if Superman, if if he ever existed, he he just he just have to stay in a cave all day long because the sounds would drive him crazy. The the the, the sunlight would have blinded him ages ago. Truth be told, he wouldn't be muscular. His his muscles would have atrophied. Yeah, this is something that I can't lay claim to. This was pointed out to me in a writing class, probably I don't know seven eight years ago. Someone was writing this weird essay about how Superman tech, and I know we're on a tangent here, but this episode sucks, so I'm going to go on a tangent. Damn uh, right. About how if Superman, you know, can okay, we're talking go- you know golden and silver age Superman who could like you know bench press the moon, like if if he is that strong that he could move you know the, the orbit of planets then there's nothing on Earth that would provide him enough resistance to actually build muscle mass. So his muscles wouldn't grow, they would actually atrophy, and he would just be this, like, shriveled wimp. Um, so, yeah, in, in reality, that's the way it would be, but... Well, you could even go the other way with it, saying, you know, with all the yellow radiation from the sun, he could just keep growing and growing and growing until he explodes. I think they actually did that in, in a comic. I remember there was... Well, they kind of do it in Justice League. Oh, did they do that in Justice League? Well, it was like, remember the episode Only a Dream where Dr. Destiny traps all of them in their dreams? And Superman is just growing like bigger and bigger and bigger muscle mass-wise. Oh, and, I don't remember that one. Yeah, well, if you get a chance, go back and watch it. It's, it's a really good episode, and uh, 
it's a pretty good moment with him and uh, or Jean and Superman, where, where uh, Jean has to basically save Superman from himself. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, uh, do we want to get back to discussing this, or? Yeah, sure. Go for it. <laughs> no, no, go ahead, please. <laughs> um, you know, um, looking at my notes here. Here we go. Here's something I didn't understand. It's this huge plot hole. Luthor is the one who's backing this suit, correct? Yep. Yet he doesn't seem concerned that this suit hasn't been properly tested. It's it's not regulated. He's just like, let's go out there and test this new machine. Like, like why would Luthor ever do that? He never would. Exactly. If if the slightest thing went wrong with that suit, that's that's terrible press for Luthor, and he knows it. And he would never, ever, ever in a million years risk that. Now, okay, people are going to throw in our face the whole missile thing when he shot them at the building, but he thought he had that all under control. This he knows he doesn't have under control because he was told it wasn't under control, but he still blew it off. And Luthor would not have blown that off. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have you know, presented that suit to the public until he was absolutely sure nothing could go wrong. Then if something went wrong, that'd be a different story. But he knew that it wasn't ready and still went ahead with it. And I call bullshit on that. Uh, I mean, unless he was working an angle, but we never get him working an angle at all. Luther really doesn't appear that much in this episode. No. Truth be told. He presents the suit, and then he tries to stop Mills, and then Superman saves the day. That's it. Yeah, and Luthor is never chastised or anything for allowing this thing to to or this whole event to take place yeah nothing is ever said of it and that that irks the, the hell out of me mm-hmm. did you happen to catch uh when superman turned in, momentarily turned into bruce wayne no whatever this is another animation problem uh when uh superman is momentarily blinded by the light that couldn't possibly blind him uh-huh. uh his eyeballs became animated like bruce wayne's for some <laughs> for some reason uh, I, I literally, I mean, I looked at it, I, I thought that that was literally Bruce Wayne on the screen there. Huh. It's just, it, it was bizarre. I don't know what it, another word to describe it. It was just bizarre. No, I, I did not catch that. Yeah, well, it's right when he first gets blinded, he's just looking around. He, I was like, Batman? Because... <laughs> I think the reason I didn't notice that is because what I remember most from that scene is that Superman's eyes are just completely black for like a couple of minutes. They're they're just all charred up. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I, I don't remember actually even seeing his eyes for those few minutes that that took well, place. Well, they do a close up on it as, right after he's he's blasted. Mm-hmm. It's just a momentary close up. Uh, and it's you know it's right there. You can't miss it if you just uh, if you look at it. Go back and look at it again. Um, and uh, this and that that whole moment there reminded me of Blind as a Bat. Ugh. <laughs> yeah. I can't see. <laughs> I swear that's what it reminded me of. That would have been awesome if Superman said that in this one. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been worth an extra point just for that just for that little chuckle. <laughs> yeah. Um. Really, and the only other thing I really have to say about this episode is, you know, it it. If nothing else, and really there was nothing else, uh, they foreshadowed steel. Mm-hmm. So, that, but you know, really, you you take like the shark thing and the foreshadowing of steel, and the you know, and therein the debut of John Henry Irons 
weighed against everything else, and it's just not even close. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm looking at my notes, and I'm trying to see what I want to mention, and I'm actually surprised you didn't bring this up. The way Superman finally defeats Mills would have murdered Mills. How, how did he survive that? How did he How did he uh, get back up from being electrocuted previously? I, I, I don't know. I have no right. explanation for it whatsoever. Exactly. I mean, Luthor sticks that little key dealy thingy in his back, and it okay, it broke, so maybe that's how they're explaining how he got up, but whatever, he suffered this huge shock, and then later on, Superman just pumps Lord knows how many fucking volts through that guy's body, and we see his eyes go white or whatever, but then at the end, they're like, oh, he's in a coma, but he'll be okay in a couple of weeks. Don't worry about him. <laughs> By the way, I'm going to be stealing two episodes. Like, seriously? This guy's dead. He's dead. Superman fried him. Like, you know, I can understand Superman being able to survive the amount of voltage that went through him, but this guy... No, uh, no, no, no. I mean, the suit might have protected him from bullets, and it might have insulated him from some, some burst of electricity, but not the amount that Superman jacked into this guy's ass. It was, it was crazy, and that, that really does bother me. Um, another thing that bothered me was, how did Mills get the suit back after he was put that on was... medical leave? <laughs> The SCU, you know, Maggie and Turpin are sitting there. They're playing gin. You hear the wall break. Then they're like, the suit. And the suit is broken out of its case. And there's a giant man-sized silhouetted hole in the wall. Ugh. That like, was like the it's one, Looney Tunes. Yeah. That know? was the one note that I forgot to mention. And I have it written down here. I just somehow overlooked it. Yeah, that, the, the thing is, it, it's. I was thinking to myself, oh, well, maybe he blew it up with a grenade or a bomb. There's no smoke, no scorch marks, nothing. That door was ripped open and torn off its hinges. Yeah. Yeah, so he used his human strength to rip open the metal case and then walk through a wall. But my question is, how did he get in in the first place? If the SCU is sitting there guarding the damn thing... Like, how did he sneak in, and then how did he rip it open? Uh, like, the only way I could potentially justify it is by something we see at the end. Remember at the end, when Superman takes the suit off of him, the glove is still moving? Mm -hmm. Because they're they're linked, you know, psychically or whatever. Uh, I, like, I I'm, Honestly, I chalked that up to the electricity that was just shot through it. Right, I mean, you you could say that, but you could also say maybe he could mentally control the suit. So did he will the suit to break out? But you can't even say that because the door was ripped off from the outside, not pushed open from the inside. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't even make sense. I mean, it's asinine. How did he get in there? That bugs the crap out of me. And then, and Maggie's reaction is just like, the suit. Like, like what? Like, why weren't there five guys with guns standing around it? Why were you and Turpin in the other room playing Go Fish? Ugh. What else do I have here? God, this episode is horrible. <laughs> you know, this this is a little nitpick. I'm, I'm going to admit that. But twice in this episode, characters, and those characters would be Maggie and Luthor, pull out these huge brick-like cell phones. I mean, this is an episode that is all about, like, future tech. Like, this very sleek, RoboCop, Iron Man-like suit 
yet they don't have futuristic cell phones. They still got these things that look like the the cell phones that you, that you see when you watch an episode of MASH. You know, and worse yet is that Luthor pulls one out of his breast pocket. Like after after he thinks he has stopped Mills. Yeah. Or reaches into his breast pocket and pulls out a brick. <laughs> and he's just like he's just like, I need security up here. Just um first off, okay, there was no sign that there was a cell phone in his breast pocket. But two, um, does Luthor really need to call security to tell them Mills is there when Mills just ran straight through security to get to Luthor? Like, does Luthor think that low of his security that, that, that what? Probably. They must not realize that someone's broken in, even though they've been jumped. And speaking of which, where's Mercy? Where the hell yeah. is Mercy? Good question. He, I... he should have stuck a bullet in this guy's chin and ended the whole thing. Yeah, because his mouth is completely unguarded. Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. Stuck a, stick a gun in his mouth, pull the trigger. That, yeah. that problem's there. Problem solved, as Luthor said. the dream again last night. Well, that's natural. You're nervous about leaving. How do I know he won't come back? You've been healthy for six months, Arnold. That's good enough for the state, and it should be good enough for you, too. As long as you maintain a clean break from your past, I'm sure your alternate personality will remain suppressed. It'll be strange to be out there alone. I mean, really alone. Next up is Double Talk. This, of course, is an episode of Gotham Knights, and it focuses on the ventriloquist. He has been in Arkham for some months now, and it's been determined that he is sane. He has been cured of his uh, Scarface personality, so he's being let out. And uh, he goes to a halfway house that is sponsored by Bruce Wayne. Um, not only that, he also gets a job at Wayne Enterprises as a, uh, what is he? He's like a mail clerk, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so Wayne's really trying to help the ventriloquist out. That's something um, we see with Wayne often, that, you know, he might beat them up as Batman, but he does try to help them in his other life. Um, well, even though he's trying to help the ventriloquist, his old running buddies, that being uh, Rhino and, oh, shoot, what's the other guy's name? Muggsy? Muggsy. Yeah. Muggsy. Yeah. They want Scarface back because they're leaderless. They, they're they not the brightest guys out there. I mean, they can rob a bank, but they want that big score that Scarface can get them. So they run a scam to trick the ventriloquist into thinking that Scarface is back, which then, of course, does bring Scarface back out of the ventriloquist's mind. And... Uh, Batman's none too happy about this because he really wanted to see the ventriloquist succeed to get his life back on track. So he goes after all these guys and uh, has to deal with the, the the problem there, I guess, is how we'll say it, right? Yeah. Oh, so after the last one, after that Superman episode, this was a nice breath of fresh air. Yes, it was. This I is a very say, solid episode. Because, you know, you watch this episode and you can't help but feel for, uh, what's his name, Wes- Wesker? Arnold, Arnold Wesker. Wesker, yeah. I mean, I just, I, I watch this episode, and my heart breaks for him. This oh, is yeah. a guy who is is truly insane. I mean, think about this. His other personality has literally attempted to kill him several times. And so that, that proves how nuts he is. He doesn't realize, his one personality doesn't realize that if it kills the other personality, they both die. Um... And now that it appears that he's finally cured and he's trying to get his life back on track, 
nothing, you know, fate or whatever doesn't want him to get his life back on track. And you just watch him and you just see him and, you know, they do such an excellent job in the, through the animation, through the writing, through the acting, through everything to make you just want to like hug him and be like, it'll be okay. Just don't worry. Just sit down, take a breath. There is no Scarface. It's okay. I mean, I seriously just want to hug him. Yeah. This is a this is definitely an episode that belongs under the Gotham Knights banner, mm-hmm. as we would as we would have it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the animation was fantastic, especially in that opening dream sequence. My mm-hmm. God, the shadow morphing into a bat demon, and then and then Scarface shoots him. Yeah, he does. Dream sequence uh, sequence or not, he shot Wesker. Yeah, he did. Right in the face. Mm-hmm. So hardcore right there. Mm-hmm. Props to the writers for putting that in there. Uh, Bruce Wayne is awesome in this episode. Yeah. Uh, this is really, this is really cool. We, you know, this is where we really get to see him in dual persona mode. He's, you know, he's helping this guy get his life back together while simultaneously playing Batman and keeping tabs on him and the goons that are trying to revive Scarface. And speaking of the goons, I love them. <laughs> Rhino, oh, yeah. Rhino and Muggsy are some of my favorite recurring characters in the whole series. I, I honestly am going to say I think they are my favorite recurring um, villains. Yeah, when I, I mean, like, small-time villains. You know, because, yeah. like, other characters pop up here and there. But, like, because we have, uh, what are the Joker's goons? Uh, what, what are their names? Uh, Punch and Judy. Is that what is that their names? That, that was what their names were in an early episode. I don't know if that's... If those are the same guys he keeps throughout, I don't like, think they I'm are. I'm talking though. about those big dudes, those like real fat, tall guys. Yeah, that's Punch and Judy. Okay, yeah, they pop up another, but these two, Muggsy and Rhino, I love them. I love them to yeah. death. And I, I gotta tell you, I, I that said, I, I might have a new favorite character though in Hips Mc, McManus. I love Hips McManus. The midget. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one that's that's a wonderful name for. That kind of character, you know, like hips. Come on, that is such a. Fu- I'm sorry if we have any if we have any listeners who, you know, I'm trying to choose my wording here because midget is not a kind word to them. Um, that's a different thing altogether. But if we have any listeners who are height challenged, we'll say, um, I'm, I'm sorry if that's offensive. We, we mean not to offend, but. That's a funny name because you know that isn't his real name. He wasn't born with the name Hips. That's his. That's his street nickname because he only yeah. comes up to your hip. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I swear. I swear to God, I'm going to steal that name and I'm going to use it in something. But when, <laughs> when I heard that name today, I was like, I, I, I have to write a story with a character named Hips McManus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I'm sorry. What, what else do you have to say about this one? Um. Well, in you know, we were talking about Rhino Muggsy. The uh, blind punch to Muggsy's face was hysterical and cool at the same time. That was the quickest punch ever. Mm-hmm. He just sticks it up lightning quick, and Muggsy just runs right into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's the thing. Did Batman even punch him, or did Muggsy just run into the back of Batman's hand? I, you know, I, I'm leaning towards uh, B. Yeah, and I love that he does it twice. Yeah. <laughs> the guy doesn't learn. You don't jump Batman. You can't. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I mean, you can if you're the Clock King, but that's yeah, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But, well, actually, speaking of uh, short people, was that landlord a dwarf also? Because yeah. Wesker is short as as he is, but mm-hmm. he dwarfed her. Yeah, I think that was a red herring. I think they wanted you to think that she was going to be the one that was running around as the fake Scarface. And then, of course, they tell us, oh, no, she's not. It's this other guy that was doing it. That's the only reason I can see that they would introduce two little people in one episode. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. That that had to be some sort of red herring. Um, and going back to animation, uh, Scarface appearing on the sofa was creepy. Mm. Ooh, it was an awesome moment, too. I mean, you know, we pan... He, Wesker looks to... I think he looks to his left, and then he kind of... The camera pans a little bit, and then we, as it pans back, Scarface is sitting there in shadow on the couch, and Wesker is just scared out of his gourd. Mm-hmm. It's, it was really... It's very, very creepy moment. Not yeah. quite as creepy as Spider-Leg Head uh, <laughs> Mr. Freeze, but it's still creepy nonetheless. Yeah, there were a couple of points throughout this episode where I was thinking to myself... This, you know, I mean, it's it's this kind of drama, you know, I mean, as you know, we're watching Arnold go through this this very dramatic, tense time in his life. But it's also it also verges on horror. This is a very scary episode. If you really think about it, this guy's being tormented. His mind is being fucked with left and right. You know, there's uh, what appears to be a dummy sitting in the phone booth. Then it's sitting on his couch. Then it's here. Then it's there. It, it gets kind of, it gets really scary at a couple of points. Yeah, I, mean, it, I, it, I can see parents not liking, not wanting their kids to watch this episode. Oh no, yeah, I absolutely agree. And this episode made me realize that the ventriloquist could translate to film if done like this, if taken very seriously, showing you what a uh, deep psychosis this. You know, the, the, yeah. like, like if, if you actually look at, you know, the, the ventriloquist mentality here and look at what he suffers from, you could translate to, that to film. And I think if Christopher Nolan ever wanted to use him, boom, you, oh. you know, he, he would make this character even more awesome than he already is. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. I would, I'd love to see it. Uh, but, you know, there's only so many villains we can throw in there, unfortunately. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um. I think my favorite line in this entire episode was... Oh, I know what you're going to say. Say it. When the muscles start thinking they're the brains, it's time to amputate. <laughs> That's actually not the one I thought you were going to say. <laughs> really? Well, well, it's, um, let's hear yours then, because I just love that line. That's, that's Scarface right there when Scarface, in a nutshell. When Scarface goes, cured, I ain't a case of the sniffles. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, Scarface, every time he's on screen, you know you're going to end up with just, like, a list of quotes that you can just giggle at or that are creepy or that are just whatever. They're, they're just yeah. great. Yeah, I mean, you've got you to pay attention whenever he's there. You don't want to miss something. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. Um, though, I, I do have a question here. Is this a new voice for Lucius Fox? It didn't sound the same to me. It didn't seem um, as deep or as rich. I think so, but I don't know. I don't have the cast list in front of me. Okay, I um, I just I didn't know if you knew off the top of your head because it sounded so different. Because like I said a second ago, the old Lucius had a very kind of rich voice, and it was almost like you could swim in it, if I remember correctly. And this one just seemed different. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Okay, I, well, it's not a big deal. Someone will write in and let us know. That's fine. Yeah. Um, um, but speaking of voices, this was this was probably the only real problem I had with this episode, and they never actually explain it. How did the goons fake Scarface's voice? I had that's my biggest question too. It seemingly even fools the Bat Computer because they run it through there. And no, no, I think doesn't Batgirl say, but it's not him. It well, sounds no, like him, but she, it's not him. What she says is, she says it sounds like him, but it's not him. But what she means is that they know it's not him because they were Batman was watching him while that recording was being well recorded. Uh-huh. So that's what she meant. That's what she meant there. It's not that it doesn't match up. It's that we know it's not him doing that voice, but it's the voice is what she was saying. Okay. And that to me, that makes it seem like it tricked the computer. So I, I, I that was that was seriously that's my biggest gripe. It's like how did they do this? The only way it would have worked for me, or there would have been two ways that it could have worked for me. One, if it turns out Scarface was in on it the whole time, but that doesn't work really because then that makes Arnold less sympathetic by the end of the episode, and that's not what they were going for. Two is if they used lines from previous Scarface episodes to, you know, torment Arnold over the telephone. Yeah. But then it would have been all choppy and stuff because it would have been like, a dummy, look outside. You know what I'm saying? It just wouldn't have worked at all. So. Wesker would have figured it out, mm-hmm. I, I think. May, well, may, you know, man, maybe he wouldn't have because he's so just distraught at that point. Maybe he wouldn't be thinking clearly. Yeah. So it might it might have worked in that case, but yeah. Um, I one another scene I really liked though was in the the bank or the the Wayne Tower scene where they're in the vault and like everybody's there, Batgirl, Batman, the gang, everybody's back and uh they lock. They lock Batgirl and Batman in the vault, and Scarface says, yeah, the only way out of here is laying on the ground, or whatever he says, because he was referring to Lucius Fox, and, and talking about the voice uh, voice control for the vault. And you think to yourself, oh, well, that's going to be cool. Batman, Batman's going to be able to get out of the vault just by saying something, and then maybe we'll have uh, Scarface or somebody think, wait a minute, how did he get out of there? Yeah. Um, but then they, they can't do it. They just uh, Batgirl says... Uh, uh, can, I hope Bruce Wayne can get us out of here. He would, and then Batman's like, "You would if he were on the other side." Yeah. <laughs> and then the way they get rid of the, or he gets rid of the bomb, is awesome. Yeah. Tying it to the bat grapple and shooting it through the vent. Yeah. Very creative use of the bat grapple. It was. I mean, it was one of those things where I was watching this episode. And of course, I've seen it before, but I didn't remember every little bit of it. And I'm like, "How does he get rid of this?" I, and I couldn't remember. And then he starts tying it to it. And I'm like. Oh yeah, this is really badass. And then he did it, and I was like, "Yeah, that was badass." <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know, the maybe the best moment in the entire episode was when Wesker kills himself, so to speak, mm-hmm. when he he starts blasting away at uh, at the dummy at Scarface. It's one hell of an intense moment because it's kind of like it's kind of like Baby Doll. Mm-hmm. Shooting the mirrors in the in the funhouse, yeah, because you know she's shooting herself in essence, and that's kind of what Wesker's doing here. He's shooting his other persona. Yeah. Now, does uh, Scarface come back after this? Mm-hmm. I, I'm 99% sure we see him in Over the Edge, but that's a dream, isn't right. he? On the the oh, talk oh. show 
Oh, yeah, that's a dream. Right, right. But, I mean, am I right that he is on that talk show, though? Yes, yes, he Okay, is. but like I said, that doesn't count. So, forgetting that episode, are there any other episodes where he appears after this? Because I'm Not- hoping the answer is no. As much as I love Scarface, I, I want this to be the end for him. He's he's cured. He, he helped himself. Well, he's... Unfortunately, well, I guess fortunately slash unfortunately, he. Do- I mean, he doesn't appear in Gotham Knights, but he does appear in Justice League again. Oh, does and, he? In the A Better World, where they go into the other the other world, and and uh, and Gotham City is all pleasant, and Arkham Asylum is just this beautiful rest home, basically, and everybody's uh, been uh, lobotomized, and they lobotomize the dummy. Uh. <laughs> that's I think that's the only his only other appearance. But that's an alternate reality, so Yeah. So okay, so go. yeah, so this is it for him. Good, good. I, I like that. I like that they actually wrapped up the character. They just didn't leave it dangling. I mean there's certain characters you can leave dangling, let them run around. Like like Two Face. He really doesn't need a conclusion, at least the way he's done in this cartoon, you know? Right. But like Mr. Freeze deserved a good conclusion. Unfortunately he really didn't get one. The ventriloquist deserved one, and he got one. So, yeah, excellent. Bravo to them. Um, did you happen to notice uh, who was at the park? Remember, Arnold is walking through the park. Did you notice who was in the background? Um, no, I didn't. Lois and Clark. Really? Yeah, it's real brief. They're just sitting there having a picnic or reading a newspaper or something, but it's very clearly them. It's Lois with her blue jacket and her little white skirt, and Clark in his you know blue suit. It's funny. It's great. Man, I can't believe I missed that. Yeah, they're just chilling out in the back, you know. And did damn. you? I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, I just said damn. Oh, <laughs> I, I thought, you, thought you said and. angry at myself. Uh, I think the last thing I want to say about this episode um, is from pretty early on. It's the scene where Bruce Wayne and Arnold first come face to face, and uh, they bump into each other. And what I like about this is the characters, the character design. The and just the overall animation. You've got Bruce Wayne, who's very sure of himself, and he's standing tall. He's very stiff-looking, very rigid. And then right in front of him is Arnold, who's not sure of himself. This guy could just crack at any moment, and he even knows it. And he's he's rounded at certain points, and he's just slumped over. And you just if if you had never even seen this cartoon before didn't even know who these characters were, at the very least, you would understand the dynamic and their personalities based on their posture and overall designs. And I love that. That's just great visual storytelling. Luck. That's what it all boils down to, doesn't it? The smallest break one way or the other. It can save a life or destroy one. And you can't fight it, no matter how strong you are. But we mustn't let this tragedy dominate our memories of him. We must not forget the good times and the warm feelings we have for a colleague and a friend named Clark Kent. It seems like an eternity now, but it was only a few days ago that Perry asked me to interview Ernest Walker. He was a small-time thief who was convicted of murdering a woman during a burglary five years ago. He'd soon be paying the ultimate price. Next up is the epic, the late Mr. Kent. In this episode, Clark Kent is dead, or so everyone thinks. In the beginning of the episode, we see a cemetery uh, with a small gathering of people mourning the apparent death of Clark Kent. Uh, Several hundred yards away, uh, Superman stands by watching the funeral, uh, recounting the story of what led to this event. 
Five years ago, a wealthy woman was murdered, and the person convicted of the murder was sent to death row. Uh, and was sent to death row was a small-time burglar named – what was his first name? I know his last name was Walker. Oh, I honestly don't know. Okay. Well, we'll just call him Walker because yeah. I know that's his last name. Um, and Perry sent sent Clark to interview the guy, uh, and he give, and Clark became convinced that he was innocent. Um, and the person working the case originally was none other than Detective Bowman, whom you should remember from Target. Uh Kent eventually figures out that Walker was home on the night of the murder because a pizza was delivered to his apartment at nearly the exact same time as the killing. He then calls Lois and kind of pokes fun at her since she pretty much mocked him earlier for trying to help Walker, whom she referred to as a lost cause. Or, uh, and you know, he gets in his car, drives towards the governor's mansion with a computer disk with, uh, with that delivery info on it. Unfortunately, while driving up a cliff shore, a bomb planted under his car explodes, causing the car to careen off of a cliff and plunge into the ocean. The disc is destroyed in the uh, in the process, and you know Clark has has another problem. A fisherman just happened to be near the scene of the crash when it happened, so Clark, now in his Superman attire because his street clothes have just been destroyed and burned away, he can't just fly out of the water dressed as Superman, or his secret will be exposed. So he swims far away and flies off to Smallville. Hours later, the police are investigating the wreckage, and Lois notices that the fisherman who saw the whole thing has horrible vision, and there's no way he could have known if Clark had survived or not. And once Superman returns from Kansas, he goes back to his apartment to search for clues as to who tried to kill him, and he spots Lois snooping around inside. They, you know, they start talking, and uh, Lois mentions the fisherman's poor eyesight, and Superman then has rekindled hope that he can save Walker while still maintaining his secret identity. Lois then spots a bomb hidden in Clark's bookshelf, and they, Superman narrowly gets her out before the apartment explodes. After he puts out the fire, he spots Bowman among the crowd on the street below uh, with his x-ray vision, and he figures it all out. Later that night, Lois goes to police HQ and confronts Bowman about the police bug she found in Clark's apartment, and that she knows it was he who killed the woman five years ago, framed Walker, and, and you know, at this point, murdered Clark Kent. Uh, you know, Bowman tries to grab the bug from her, and he throws her off the stairwell inside Police HQ. Superman bursts through the wall and saves her, while Bowman tries to escape to the roof, commandeering the police chopper. Uh, you know, he keeps Superman at bay for a little bit with the, the turrets and missiles on the, equipped on the chopper, but eventually he's captured. Superman has fixed the one problem, but then he has to go save Walker, who is just hours away from being executed. Um... He does, and the next day, Lois's story about Superman saving Walker is the front page of the Daily Planet. She and Jimmy then lament the death of their colleague uh, when Lois gets a call from Lana Lang saying that Clark called her uh, after he washed up ashore. Uh, you know, Lois then leaves in a huff, and or, I'm sorry, uh, Lana basically explains to Lois that he had been recuperating in her condominium for several days, and. Lois is not too happy about this, that he called Lana and not her, and she just leaves pissed off as all hell as they grin at each other. And then, of course, oh, <laughs> the final scene, we get Bowman's execution. <laughs> oh, I love this episode you so much. You don't say! <laughs> oh. This is another one where I give you the floor. <laughs> Okay, now, before I start gushing, I do have one very large gripe right okay, off the bat. Sure. Why would the Kents not be present at their son's funeral? Yeah, that bothered me, too. I mean, one, it bothered me that the funeral was taking place in Metropolis and not Smallville. 
two, it bothered me that they weren't there. Now, granted, we know why they're not there, because they know he's not dead, but they right. still should act the part. Um, so that that is a bit of a problem. The only thing you could potentially say is that that was a service for Clark in Metropolis for his friends who couldn't get to Smallville. And there was another service in Smallville for Clark's Smallvillian friends. I mean, that's that's the only way you can justify it. Otherwise, it's a huge oversight on the part of the producers there. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's it just continues the the character flaw of Martha Kent not being able to sell or act the act the part of not knowing that Superman is Clark Kent. Yeah. She because the conversation she has with Bowman on the phone just annoys me to no end. Oh, see, I it, think that's funny. I love that conversation. Well, it it was to me it was completely out of place, you know, given the mood of this episode, and I, it really took me out of it for a second there. Mm-hmm. Due to you know, it's, Martha acts completely clueless. She does. Mm-hmm. Um, but she, she's like, well, it could be the shock. <laughs> I, I don't know. I yeah. liked it. I thought it was cute. Yeah. But those gripes, notwithstanding, this episode is a work of art, mm-hmm. and I'm not just talking about the animation, which you know was beautiful, of course. It's just it's one of those episodes that I can pop into the DVD player and watch on loop over and over and over again. This is an extremely mature episode, even more so than the than our last episode that we just reviewed. Um, it, it's it's a murder mystery story featuring Clark basically channeling Batman and playing a detective slash investigator. And what's really nice here is we get a, we finally get a look into Clark Kent's psyche. He, he as much admits that he could never be Superman 24-7. Clark is his anchor to human life. And Tim Daly did a, a fantastic job in this episode showing that. Um, and we get a, we also get a great follow-up on a guy that you knew was a scumbag in Bowman and Lois constantly having to confront him. And of course, you know, the, the, maybe the most awesome end to a cartoon, any cartoon episode ever. Um, the episode really was a huge risk on several fronts. Um, the the episode and, and the ending were very very mature. Uh, the episode doesn't have much action in it. Um, really, the only action in the episode was that fight on top of police HQ with the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. But you know, god damn, did it ever pay off? Oh yeah, it did. Um, to to tell you the truth though, that scene with the helicopter that's my big gripe with the episode. Um. It's cool looking and, you know, it's interesting watching just a normal human take down Superman, at least for a little while, with a chopper. But at the same time, I thought it was a bit much. The episode was really grounded. It was extreme, okay, you know, alien notwithstanding. It was very grounded in reality. As you said, it's a murder mystery. It very much has a kind of a film noir kind of voice to it with Clark mm-hmm. narrating it. Um, and then, we get this thing with this helicopter and lots of bullets and a missile and Superman swinging it around at the end. And I don't know that that kind of, I don't want to say it pulled me out of the episode, but I do think it, I'm not going to say it. I'm not even going to say it hurt it. It, it nicked the episode. It didn't dent it. It (laughs) nicked the episode. I thought it was necessary because, you know, you have to have some kind of action, I guess. But well, and, and like you said, it's a it is very cool to look at. No, That's some some awesome animation with him. The gun turrets blasting him mm-hmm, into the wall. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it looks great. 
I understand why they did it, but I just don't feel it fit 100% with the voice of the rest of the episode. Because then after that, it goes back to the kind of episode it was. You know, being the mm-hmm. really grounded kind of story. You know, Lois finds out Clark is alive, and then we get the the, the, the execution at the end. It goes back to it. It's... And I, I think they could have done something else. I mean, I'm really glad they didn't introduce a supervillain. They didn't have it turn out that the parasite was in Bowman's pocket the whole time, and he pops up for a two-minute fight with Superman. Um, yeah. They needed Bowman to be able to fight Superman, and this was the only way they could come up with. Fine, I understand that, but mm, I still sort of could have done without it. <laughs> um, I would have marked the fuck out if Superman had inhaled all the gas in the gas chamber a la a death in the family mm-hmm. and it's just flown up into the sky and spit it all out yeah that would have been that that would have been great but you know that was that was just wishful thinking yeah um i think another thing that's really cool here is that clark while you know telling the story says that he wanted it to be clark kent's victory and not superman's mm-hmm. well it still does kind of end up being superman's victory when he saves walker but Kent still gets the credit for the investigation that proved his innocence. So right. it's really a dual victory. He got even more than he would hope he had hoped for. Oh fuck it! Can I just let's just talk about that end scene? Sure, go for it. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, and I've I posted this on on our two forums uh, several months ago when you know we were having our that thread the favorite DCAU moments, mm-hmm. and this is of course my favorite moment in the entire series. Uh, it's just. You, it's not something you expect at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got this, just this utter scumbag Bowman, and he's all he can think of. He's about to be put to death, and all he can think about is how how the hell did Clark survive? And then, like he has an aneurysm, his eyes go bloodshot, yeah. and he's he just goes, he's Superman. And then the very last thing you see is the the policeman or the guard pulling the chamber or pulling the lever on the gas chamber. And then you get that really good orchestral uh, hit to end the episode. Yeah. Just, man, I, I can't say enough about how just awesome that moment is. Um, Lana Lang rules again. Yeah. yeah. This she's only here. She's only in the episode for maybe sixty seconds, and again we get to see her, her, uh, her charm and her just her wiles really just pissing. Lois off to the extreme. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just she just goads she just goads Lois on and on, like uh, just saying, "Are you jealous?" <laughs> and Lo- the and the there was another great animation moment right after that. The twitching in Lois's eyeball. Just <laughs> oh, I want to kill you right now yeah. and bury the bodies where nobody can find them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that, uh, that that is cool because. I like what they do with Lois in this episode. They do establish that she might have some feelings for Clark, that she very well might be jealous of Lana, and even if she doesn't have those kind of feelings for Clark, at the very least, she respects him. She says as much. You know, when she and Superman are in Clark's apartment together, she's crying over a portrait of her and Clark. You know, and she, you know, she, her tears are streaming down her face, and she's like, I teased him, I called him Smallville, but I had so much respect for him, and now I can't tell him. And Superman, of course, is smiling, because 
in an odd way, he sort of likes seeing Lois like this. And he's like, well, I'm sure he'll turn up, you know? And I, I just love it. There is so much character development with Lois in this episode. As much as it's a Clark episode, you know, it's, it's, it's Secondarily, Lois episode too. Yeah. You know, because when Clark's dead, Lois picks, or quote-unquote dead, Lois picks up his investigation. Yep. And I like that. You know, you know she's picking it up because it's her job, but you also know more so she's picking it up because this was her friend, and she wants to make sure he's avenged. And I, I dug that. I mean, she goes so far as to confront Bowman one-on-one. And she, as, as you said earlier, she gets thrown down a shaft. You know, she literally put her neck on the line. She knew Superman would save her, but still, there's a risk. There's a risk involved. Oh, and yeah. you He could have just shot her. Exactly, and Superman might not have been able to burst through the wall in time, faster than a speeding bullet or not. Um, you know, sure, Lois is always putting herself in danger, but I think this was one step beyond the danger she's put herself in before. Oh, yeah. And again, doing it for Clark Kent, someone who up until now, we weren't even sure she actually liked. But now we know, no, she definitely, at the very least, loves him as a friend and potentially cares about him beyond that. Yeah, and again, more more outstanding voice acting from Dana Delaney. Mm-hmm. I, I almost wanted to cry when she was saying, but I had so much respect. I really did. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I wish I'd told him. You know, just, God, you just... I really did. A tear almost came to my eye when she was uh, saying those lines. Yeah. The sign of great voice acting work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, have we esta- I know we've asked this on the show before, but have we established where Metropolis is in America? Because they what? say Clark's car went into the ocean. Well, I mean, it's a coastal city. I always, I figured it was, it was supposed to be their equivalent of New York. Well, like, Gotham is supposed to be like in New Jersey somewhere. See, that's the thing. Like I said, I know we've spoken about this before. I know we have, but I didn't know if we ever came to a conclusion. If in the DCAU, if they, if we ever figured out where it was supposed to be situated. Cause you're right. It's, it, in the comics, it stands in for New York, even though I believe there is a New York in the DCU. Mm-hmm. Jersey, that's Gotham. You know, some of the other cities are in the Midwest. But then you get stuff like, you know, if you watch uh, the Superman movies, I never get the sense that it's... Wait, I... I, a, a I giant. I, I, yeah, wait a minute. It is it is a coastal city there, too, because there's a giant island that Luthor is building, isn't he? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I try, I try to block out uh, Superman Returns, in case you don't know. Um, <laughs> but then, of course, Smallville throws it off by having it be in the Midwest. So, I don't know. I, it, when I heard Ocean, I was like, huh? Like, what? I, I, I forget. Because, like I said, it's all over the place, depending on the media you watch. And I forgot where it was here. Yeah, and, you know, Clark tells Lois that he's driving up to the governor's, governor's mansion. And if we're supposed to believe that uh, that Metropolis is New York City their equivalent of it, then that would make, you know, Albany be where the governor's mansion is, and he'd have, and he'd be driving through Long Island to get to the main, the mainland of New of New York State. Mm. So that I guess you know that's I guess that's what I will just draw from it there. Okay. Um, and you know how every now and then there's like a real funny little line that you just hear in the background. Mm-hmm. The, the, there was another one in this episode when Superman bursts through the wall, 
breaks into the gas chamber and saves Walker, mm-hmm. one of the witnesses just just yells, "He's going crazy!" <laughs> <laughs> like, can you imagine that? You're sitting there, you know, you're about to watch someone get executed, and then over your shoulder, Superman bursts into the wall and saves someone that you think is a killer <laughs> what is your reaction going to be he's going oh, crazy that's it was great it's, it's just a little throwaway line if you don't hear it it doesn't hurt the episode but when you do hear it it adds so much more because it's funny yet true and what i what i thought was interesting is if you look at the scene where walker is going to be executed and then you look at the scene where bowman is executed it's the same pe- same people yeah <laughs> I think they changed two people. The guy, I think we're supposed to assume the governor, switches, I think, from the second to last to the last seat. So they might actually switch one person. Um, But everybody else is the same. There's the old (laughs) woman. There's the hunched over black guy. Like I said, there's the guy I think we're supposed to assume is the governor. And then there was uh, one other person. And then there was a lady that might have been different. But... (laughs) Like, these people have nothing better to do than go to executions every Sunday afternoon. I mean, it's like they live in medieval England. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I guess, I guess they were just the, uh, the governor's cabinet or something. His advisors or something. So they just had to go. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Superman actually, uh, this is where we get, uh, Superman admitting that he doesn't have to eat. Right, yeah. And, but, you know, and the, the famous line, but, you know. Uh, but old habits die hard. Right. And if you notice, he almost eats a slice of pizza that has pepperoni on it. And sometimes Superman's a vegetarian and sometimes he's not. Um, so it was, you know, just it's something I thought I'd point out because depending on the writer and depending on the day of the week, you know, that changes, as mm-hmm. does his need to eat, as you just brought up. Um, now, I don't know if what I'm about to say or the assumption about to, the assumption I'm about to make, excuse me, is correct or not, but I have to throw it out there. After Superman rips Walker out of the gas chamber, we see the newspaper and it says, uh, Superman saves convict or something like that. Okay. And over on the side, there's a little headline that says fans Nick's new duds. Now yeah. you caught that. Yeah, I caught that too. I didn't know what the hell it was it was referring to though. This is the only thing I can figure out. This episode of Superman aired in November of 1997, okay? In mm-hmm. May of 1997, that is when Superman, May-ish, it might have been April, um is when Superman switched over to that electric blue outfit. Do you remember that? Yeah, oh god. Right. Yes. And the fans hated it from the get-go, and it lasted for I want to say at least 6 months. It might have gone it might have gone a full year or more. And of course, the fans were hating it all along. They were, you know, there were cries to stop it, to bring Superman back to the way he was, to his classic costume. So I have to assume that that headline is a reference actually a shot at what was happening in the comics at the time. I, I could be wrong, but you know the the dates match up and the headline. That's, that's makes a good sense. catch. Because mm-hmm. when I saw that, I was like, it was the first thing that popped in my mind. But I didn't think that date wise it was work. It, it would work because I thought this episode actually aired before the the whole electric Superman, Superman Red, Superman Blue fiasco. But mm-hmm. no, it aired like I said afterwards. So and it's one of those little jokes they could have added in like at the last minute too. 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know these episodes are produced way ahead of time, but seriously, that's a little thing that would take just how much time would it really take to add that in? Exactly. Um, and I, you know, I don't really have a whole lot more notes on this one. It's just, again, an episode that I love with all my heart and would watch anytime, day or night. I thought I felt a chill. I want you to stay away from Nightwing. <laughs> Mother birds usually know when to let their robins leave the nest. He's a big boy wonder now. A man wonder, in fact. I don't trust you, Selina. Of course you don't. That's why it never could have worked out between us. Is this a private party? Don't you men ever use the door. Don't mind him. He just wants to protect your honor. I don't need a chaperone. You don't know what she's capable of. She's been straight with me. Maybe you just never gave her the chance. If you don't trust me, Batman, trust him. I guess I have to. Next up is another episode of Gotham Knights. This one is You Scratch My Back. And this is a Nightwing episode. Yay, Nightwing! Woo! Sorry. Anyways, what happens is uh, Nightwing actually teams up with Catwoman because they're trying to uh, bust up some gang or something. I'm not even sure what the hell they were doing. Um, but they were trying Captain to Captain Hook. Yeah, basically. What was his name? Ricky the Hook or something like that? Yeah, Ricky the Hook. Yeah. Okay, I was taking a guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, they're trying to stop him and whatever he's trying to smuggle into Gotham. And uh, along the way... You know, it's it's a Catwoman episode, so we know that she's playing. Oh my God, she's playing Dick. Um, I'm sorry, people. I it, it was just, a, it goes with the territory. I didn't mean it, but anyways, yeah, she's we we know she's running some game behind Nightwing's back, uh, but we we haven't figured out what that is. But it turns out that she actually uh, had smuggled a she had used. Ricky the Hook to smuggle a jewel into America, and then she was using Nightwing to help her find said jewel. But it actually turns out that Nightwing and Batman were playing an angle against Catwoman to figure out what she was trying to do. So throughout the whole episode, it looks like Nightwing and Batman are butting heads, especially when it comes to his partnership with Catwoman, his newfound relationship with her. Because it gets a little sexy from time to time, don't you see? So the sun is taking over the daddy's old flame. Woo-hoo! That's a little creepy, actually. But anyways! Very. Okay, but, but still. Anyways! <laughs> <laughs> um, so all that, all those interactions that we saw where they were butting heads were actually just an act that they were putting on to further this ruse against Catwoman. Does that sum this one up? Yeah, pretty much. Now, based on your tone... I'm getting that you don't like this episode, sort of. Well, Catwoman episodes generally just bore the shit out of me. And mm-hmm. this, honestly, this one really didn't change that trend. Uh, I mean, it, the only thing that made it really bear, more bearable than the others is Nightwing. Mm-hmm. Um, I hate Catwoman's new design. How come? I hate it. Uh, I just, well, it's like our, uh, the emailer who's, uh, sent about, was asking, why does she white her face up? At, now, I do dig Selena's new look. I just don't like the Catwoman uh, costume. It's just, I don't know. There's just, it, it looks, she looks like a, an American short hair cat. I don't know. It's just weird. 
See, I like the design because it's sleek. I think it's sexier than the previous design she had. I was never totally fond of her old gray outfit. Um, I thought it was an okay design, but I, I think I do prefer this one to it. But like I said, I do. I actually do like Selena Kyle's new look. Mm. The, uh, the the short black hair as opposed to the the long blonde hair. Why, why do you like that better? Because that was a little jarring for me. Well, I think because Selena is at this point has been established as um, a very you know a, a very proud feminist and. Now, she, of course, likes the company of men, unlike some other characters we've discussed in the past. Um, but I, I think that it was just a, a way of her just, uh, s- separating herself from, um, men altogether. Because I think she, at this point, she's just pissed off that Batman never, even, you know, they loved each other. You can't deny that. But, and Batman just turned his, turned his back on her because of the cause or whatever you want, whatever word you want to use for it. And it was just a way to change yourself. Maybe in a little, maybe in a little way, start a new life, but not, you know, not with her, uh, her alter persona, of course, but with her human, her regular everyday human persona. Because remember we, we, uh, in the last, I think, I think it was the last episode we discussed Catwoman, uh, she was supposed to have been t- to never put the Catwoman costume on again, or she would go to prison for life or something. I don't know. Was that the, was that the last time we discussed her? I honestly don't remember. <laughs> yeah. So, but you know, I just I dig it. Um, I have a question though here. Grayson, Dick Grayson lives in a loft, right? Yes. Now, how does he have a tunnel leading to the sewers? He probably owns. A loft. He probably owns the whole building. Hmm. Okay. Well, I, all right. I'll buy that. Yeah, because what you have to assume is that Dick. I mean, he's got money. Even if Dick has shunned Bruce, there's no way Bruce wouldn't have been setting money aside for Dick. Um, a trust fund. Or something. something right, and Dick, you know, would definitely use that to set up a new base of operations. And he, one, couldn't have neighbors who might be snooping around. And two, he couldn't have neighbors that might be put in harm's way if he's ever discovered by the police, by a villain, by anybody. Um, So, yeah, you just have to assume he bought the whole building. As a matter of fact, in the comics, uh, Dick actually has money not through Bruce, but through, shoot, what was it? I think, was it through Haley's Circus? Um, that, trying, actually, that does sound kind of familiar now that you mentioned the circus. I think there was some some kind of uh, mention of that. I don't, but I don't remember the like a storyline it might have revolved around. Yeah, but I, you, that does sound familiar. I'm trying to remember. It was in a real early issue of the Nightwing ongoing series. It might have been the first issue, and that series is right about 150. So obviously this was a long time ago that I read this book, but I remember a scene where Dick was going to the bank just to check out how much cash he had. And there was a ton of money in there and it had something to do with the circus. Either he owned it and didn't realize how much money it was making or Alfred set a little money aside for him and invested it well. And somehow the circus was involved in that. I don't know. I have to go break out that issue when we're done recording because that's going to bother the piss out of me. 
<laughs> and then I'll if I if I find it, I'll uh, post my findings over at the forums because yeah, I, I need to know at this point. But anyways, anyways, no matter how it happens, he's got money and he bought the whole building. Is what I was getting at. Okay, well, sorry for the about, tangent. Well, no, that's all right. What do you think about this episode? Well, it's it's a Nightwing episode. Uh, what? Well, yeah, I, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I, I have to obviously admit that all my thoughts about this episode are colored by that. Um, in truth, this episode is probably average, but I'm going to score it 17 points higher because not only is it the first Nightwing episode, um, it's it's an all-Nightwing episode. I mean, yeah, Batman's there, but it's really about Dick Grayson. Um, and, I, and I think it did a good job with the character. It's established him as being the same man, yet he has changed a lot from the last time we saw him as Robin. Um, we understand that there's tension between he and Bruce, um, that there's a lot of tension, more tension, it would seem, between him and Barbara. Um, oh, yeah. I like the fact that he has... Think about it. In in Batman the Animated Series, the besides Barbara, the only girl I can ever remember seeing Dick with was that one cheerleader that he was studying with. Do you remember that episode? Oh, oh yeah. Um, and now, well, that was that was the last episode of BTAS, wasn't it? I don't know what episode was that. I just remember some cheerleader he was singing. Bat, was that Batgirl Returns? It might have been. I don't know. I don't, maybe I don't know. But regardless, now he's aged a few years. Obviously, some time has passed, and now look who he's going after. You know, this tells us very subtly that he's much more mature sexually. No longer is he going after the sort of virginal, you know blonde-haired, blue-eyed, all-American girl, now he's going for the sexy kitty who's been around the block a few times that can teach him a thing or two. And I like that. I, I, I like that little bit of subtlety there. Um, am I reading into this episode because it's a Nightwing episode and I love Nightwing? Yes, but still, that's okay. You're, you're forgiven. <laughs> I mean, look at, look at me and Matt as a hatter. <laughs> that is that's, true. It so is. You're, you're absolutely justified. You know, one of the things I really dug about this episode, and it only lasts for literally a half a second, is the scene where uh, Nightwing is, uh, he's left his loft, he's just uh, left Barbara there, and we get that Nightwing theme, and I love the Nightwing theme. I think that's really great, a really great score. Um, in fact, when I, it used to be the, uh, you know, when you can turn on your PC, you can have like a little sound play, that yeah. used to be the sound that I had playing. Now I have a different thing that involves... Nightwing, but I won't get into it. But, uh, see, that makes it sound like it's dirty. It's not. Yeah, it does sound like he's dirty. <laughs> yeah, remember that episode of The Simpsons where uh, Lisa turns on Smithers' computer and, she, and it's like, what's it? Uh, what's, Naked Mr. Burns. Yeah, what's he say? Like, thank you for turning me on, Smithers, or something like that? Or, Smithers, you turn me on good? Thank uh, you, Mr. Smithers, you turn me on. Right. <laughs> That's what it seems like I have. No, no, but what I have when I turn my computer on now is a quote uh, an exchange between uh, Nightwing and, and Batman. That's all it is. But it used to be the theme because I love it so much. But anyways, when that little bit ends, Nightwing, uh, he runs up on a rooftop and he poses with his chest out in front of the moon. And it's just like the last moment of the BTAS opening credit sequence. Right. Where Batman's standing up on the roof all proud with, uh, I don't think the moon's behind him, the bat's uh, signal's behind him, right? 
Yeah, and lightning is striking behind him. Right, but it's it's the same thing, and they're they're very much calling attention to it, and I, I kind of liked it. They were, it was cool. It was a cool little thing. Oh yeah. Um, but I have a I have a question. You know, why if the ruse was on Catwoman the entire time, why would uh, you know, Dick and Barbara have ever had that conversation in, in Grayson's home? Which what was the conversation about? I don't remember. They were arguing about, you know, trusting Catwoman and all this other stuff. You know, if, if they were in on it the whole time, why were they arguing about it? See, I kind of got the feeling that Barbara wasn't in on it, but I don't know why she wouldn't have been in on it. Yeah, because, she was involved the whole time. Right, because one of the things that makes me think she wasn't involved is the scene where Dick and Selena are standing on Selena's balcony and Bruce has just left. Or Batman's just left, right? And Dick's, like, scowling at, at Batman. He's playing the part. But then he sees Batgirl hanging in the shadows, too. And his eyes kind of widen, and he kind of stiffens up a little. He didn't it, it, He didn't expect her to be there. And Selina's standing behind him. She can't see his reaction. So that, that was another thing that made me think she didn't know what was going on. But I guess I that makes sense. But why wouldn't she? I have to ask that question again. Yeah. I just, I, I don't know. I, that, that's a little bit that definitely. It's annoyingly ambiguous. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, getting back to something I said earlier, why does it seem like there's more tension between Babs and Dick than there is Bruce and Dick? If you think about it, Bruce and Dick at this point are not getting along. They're not on speaking terms, yet they've come together and concocted this scheme to get Catwoman. Yeah, but now Barbara and Dick are—they're not at each other's throats, but they are bickering back and forth. So why is there more tension there when there should be more between father and son? Well, now if we go back to old wounds, you know, Dick never knew that Barbara was Batgirl, right? And and he he found out when Batgirl had first started had made her first quote-unquote team up with batman Mm -hmm. and that's when he found out and he thought that batman or bruce was keeping this information from him from for like god knows how long so i don't know maybe he was just uh angry that barbara whom he had a a long relationship with had supposedly kept this information from him for so long maybe he just felt betrayed uh, by Barbara. I don't know. But see, you know, I, I can see I can see that, but at the same time, he wasn't exactly forthcoming with her. I mean, imagine if I cheated on Jenny and then I found out she cheated on me and I was mad at her that she cheated on me even though I cheated on her. Do you see what I'm saying? That's yeah. essentially what's going on here. They were both keeping the same secret from each other, but he's somehow holding it against her yet he doesn't realize that he was doing the same thing to her. So, I mean, yeah, I guess, you know, that happens in the real world, but I don't completely get it here. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, sure, fine, fine, whatever. He's mad at her, but I still think he should be angrier at Bruce than he is at Babs. But somehow they've come together to try to get Catwoman. I I don't know. And like I said, as much as I love this episode, that is one of the things that does bother me about it. It definitely does. Yeah, Catwoman and Captain Hook. <laughs> Enrique El Cancho. <laughs> I didn't mind Captain Hook. <laughs> oh, talk about a, 
an utterly throwaway villain. Well, at least they didn't waste, you know, the Joker or Mr. Freeze or a recurring villain on this episode. I mean, this really was about the relationships of all these characters. That's what this was about. The story was secondary, really. So Mm -hmm. to, to throw another name into the mix wouldn't have made a whole hell of a lot of sense and would have potentially hurt the episode. So yeah, I, I I like that they created someone new. Yeah, he's generic, you know, he's your white suit wearing villain, you know, he, he's probably, you know, I have to assume he's kind of supposed to be a beefier, um, what's his face from Scarface? Al Pacino's character. Oh, God. You know. Why did you ask me this now? Yeah, why did you ask me this now? I'd have been able to tell you any of the... I don't tell my head. We have listeners but, screaming at us. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think that's what he's supposed to be in terms of overall look, and they just gave him a hook hand. I mean, the guy's got a scar on his face, for God's sakes. He's clearly... That's clearly who he's supposed to be. They just changed his hand. Um, mm. Montoya? Montoya? What? I'm trying to think of oh. the name. Montana? Yeah, Tony Montana? Is that? Tony Montana. I think that was it. Yeah, wasn't it? Okay. Ah! I don't like Scarface, the movie, so. I don't, I don't think it's all that good. Hate mail can be sent to no one, cause I don't care. Um. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> but, uh. Oh, okay, Lord. Let's see. Let's, let's Yeah, Tony back. Montana, that was it. Okay, let's see. How can I get this back on track? Oh, one of the things I, oh, another thing I liked about this episode was, the way Dick left Barbara in the loft, she's like, hey, there's room for two on that bike. And he's like, I'm going it alone. And he just speeds out. That yeah, is. How did you feel about that? See, here's the thing. That wasn't all that different than the way Bruce used to leave Dick behind in the cave. We mm-hmm. saw him do that to him a couple of times. So he, it was very, at least in my opinion, maybe they didn't mean to do it, but... It, it seems to work out that way. It's the son becoming the father. Except in this case, there's a little sexual innuendo there. But still, the, the point remains that Dick was acting like Bruce. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> way, way to hastily speed away from that. <laughs> but now, what were you asking? How did I feel about what? Well, well, how did you feel about, you know, Dick treating Barbara like that? Um, Again, you know, he, he's mad at her and he wants to go it alone and he has to go it alone because it is part of the plan. So it makes sense, you know? So, yeah. Okay. I mean, why? Did it bother you? Well, well I, I, you being the night, the Nightwing uh, fanboy that you are, I, mm. I don't know. Maybe I thought, I thought it might uh, bother you that he's acting like such an utter douchebag. Oh, I'm not saying it, it doesn't bother me, um, but... Uh, at the same time, again, I, I like it because it's him playing the part of Bruce. Yeah. He, you know, he hated it when Bruce used to do that to him. He hated it. And now he's doing it to someone he cared about. And you know this is something he swore to himself years ago. We never saw it, of course. But, no, we did see it because at one point he says, when, during Robin's Reckoning, he says, I'm never going to be like him, remember? Right. And now he's he's doing it. He's doing exactly what he swore he would never do. So, yeah, works for me. I like it. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess this goes back to the ambiguous was Babs in on it or not. Right. So yeah. it, it's uh, confusing on many fronts. Mm-hmm. Um, my normal gripe with Catwoman, as always, is, you know, is she supposed to be somebody who actively tries to kill somebody? I, I mean, I... Th- 
originally thought that Catwoman was just supposed to be a burglar, uh, expert thief, not not a murderer. She's like she's kind of an anti-hero slash villain, mm-hmm. but I never I never got the feeling like she was supposed to be a character that tries to murder people, and it, and it's like why did it, here she is she's trying to murder Nightwing in the ocean there uh, while they're speeding away on that boat. It's kind of like my gripe with Parasite and Superman. They don't there's no continuity to that character behavior. Mm. You see what oh, I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. She was shooting flares at him while he was uh, yeah. gliding over. Yeah, yeah, you're you're right there. That is a little bothersome. I mean, because we, we could excuse it in the last the last time we saw her because uh, what's his face? F- uh, not not Fugit. Uh, Daggett was mm. trying to dunk her in like boiling metal or something. So you could you could excuse her trying to kill Daggett, but mm-hmm. you know I don't I, I just can't excuse it here. If she's supposed to be just somebody, just an expert thief, not a murderer. Mm-hmm. I, I can see why, why that'd be bothersome. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, one thing I do like about another thing I do like about this episode, though, is the this is just a classic moment here at the, uh, on the dock mm-hmm. where where the guy runs right by Batman, who's standing there with his foot propped up on a box. Mm-hmm. He's and he's scared shitless. He's like, <clears throat> and. He, he just the look on the guy's face is hysterical, and then he runs away, and Nightwing walks right by. Batman is completely motionless. He says, "He's all yours." Yeah. Just kind of and just kind of points his thumb like he's hitchhiking. But then what's cool is after Dick chases down that perp, Batman smirks. Yep, he actually has a little smirk on his face, like like he's proud of Dick Grayson right there. He wants Grayson to get the collar, so to speak. Um, but what I really like about that scene is it shows you why Batman works psychologically. He didn't move. And this guy shit his pants three times over. He just stands there, just quivering, and just kind of like eventually thinks, okay, can I get away? And he just goes. You know, and because that's the whole thing with Batman. That's his whole thing. He is striking fear into the hearts of criminals. That's why he dresses up like a bat, because bats can be scary. So, really great writing through the use of non-action, if that makes sense, to get that across. Oh yeah, I, I love I love stoic Batman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just he just strikes fear into somebody doing absolutely nothing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because mm. he's got that reputation going for him. Oh yeah, you know, he, he's not the year one or even the year two Batman. We know, based on Grayson's age, that Batman at this point has been doing this for at least 12 years, possibly even 15. And so he's got a reputation out there, and every perp, whether they believe Batman is real or not, has heard the stories. And when they finally run into him, oh my god. You know, going back to um, the uh, Ventriloquist episode from earlier, that's something I like from the dream sequence, where we see the demon Batman. Every criminal is going to see Batman differently. And that dream sequence showed you how Arnold sees Batman. He doesn't see a guy in a leather suit. He sees a demon. That's what he sees. And who knows what this criminal on the dock saw. But whatever it was, it scared him to no end. Uh, um, yeah, I don't I don't really have a lot of more notes, but I will say that... Uh... Just talking here, I, I think I've, I'm going to 
up my grade. It's probably not as uh, bad as I originally thought, but yeah, it's just it's just like I said, it's Catwoman. She's just I don't know. I just don't like Catwoman episodes as a general rule. Well, what have we here? Call me Steel. Steel, Metallo, the meeting of the metals. Well then, Mister Steel. May the best alloy win. And lastly today is the Superman episode Heavy Metal. In this episode, John Henry Irons is back already and is hard at work building his own suit of armor without any of the problems. Uh, he sees a report of a bank robbery caused by a single incredibly strong person, though nobody knows who it is. Uh, later, the same man and two uh, two of his goons rob another bank, and he just lays waste to the cops who try to stop him in the alley. Now, Irons hears the carnage uh, out, outside nearby and just goes and goes out to test a, a wrist blaster thing that he's going to attach to the suit and he stops the crooks from escaping but the two goons corner him Superman swoops in just in the nick of time and saves him as the freakishly strong robber kind of lures him in and sucker punches him he rips off his clothes and mask to reveal that he is Metallo dun 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 Metallo and Superman then start fighting all across Iron's neighborhood in the ghetto, and eventually Metallo uses his new intergang technology to blast soups with kryptonite energy beams. Now, Metallo ends up subjecting Superman to so much kryptonite radiation that he goes into a coma. Now, Irons and his niece intervene and save what's left of Superman, and they take him back to uh, Irons' workshop where he puts Superman under uh, some artificial yellow sunlamp thing to try and hasten his recovery. Uh, Metallo, in the meantime, commandeers a police cruiser and starts wreaking havoc all over Iron's neighborhood. And Irons decides that this is the perfect opportunity to test out the new battle suit, and he becomes the ironclad superhero, Steel. While Steel and Metallo duke it out, Superman slowly recovers, and he and Steel are able to overcome Metallo and eventually destroy the kryptonite chunk in his chest. And that's about it. Yep. Um, before we say anything else, I have to get across that for everything this episode does right, it does something bad. And that something bad is usually in the dialogue department. There are some lines in this episode that are downright cringe-worthy. Putrid. I mean, okay, first off, Metallo calls Steel Superfly. So, oh my god. Okay, as if that wasn't racist enough, he then says to Steel, Sorry, Steel, I've got some business in the hood. Oh! Patello <laughs> 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 just said in the hood? Oh. <laughs> oh my god. Roddy McDowell, what have you done? <laughs> yeah, it's like... Even he couldn't make those lines into diamonds. No, no. there were still pieces of coal. <laughs> That's putting out the trash, Superman. <laughs> oh, yeah. <Ugh. laughs> oh. And then, and then, and then, okay, this isn't a dialogue thing, but Steel pulls a Wonder Woman. Thank you. <laughs> Like, Thank you. Okay, okay, sure. He might be able to take bullets while he's in his suit, but he starts deflecting bullets when he's just wearing the little armlet thingy or whatever it is you i know? guess his reflexes are as fast as the flash exactly just boom 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 black and bullets like no you're human oh my god <laughs> <laughs> 
But oh, again, man. like I said, this episode does do some things right. This is our first appearance of, uh, yeah, this is the first appearance of Steel, uh, John Henry in the iron, uh, in the iron suit, I should say. I, for some odd reason, I like Steel's niece in this. She's kind of that cliched, spunky kind of sidekick character, but I didn't mind the cliche here. What about you? Oh, not at all. And Summer Cree. Uh, or Cree, Summer Cree, Cree Summer. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm I don't know what the hell I was doing there, but uh, yeah, Cree Summer does a great job uh, as the character. I, you know, I forget her name too. What was her name? Um, I think it's Natasha. Yeah, I think it's Natasha. Okay, yeah, and you know she's she's one of the best voice actresses out there. Yeah, yeah. she's one of those she's one of those people who, when you hear her voice, you know who who she is immediately. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, Natasha Irons. I'm right. Yeah, she's got a very distinctive voice, and you know, and she she's got the unique ability to play any age character. Mm-hmm. She could play uh, an eight year old or uh, a fifty eight year old. Mm-hmm. She's got a great range. Um, I have actually, I have more questions about this sure. episode. Um, how do the masks face, mouth, and eyes move? It's just it's just a steel mask. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I, I, it's it's like when uh, Scarface's uh, lips started moving in the second of the ventriloquist episodes in BTAS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I got I got to question that mm-hmm. because it's it really is a bad animation flaw. Yeah, it is. Um, I mean, they they have to. It's it's weird. I mean, they have to do something to illustrate that he is talking besides just actually having the voice there, you know. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. They could have done something else because you're right. We clearly see that it's just this steel or iron mask. He he forges it right on screen in the very opening moment of the of the episode. Right. So it's not like it's some mesh thing. No, this is something he forged in fire. <laughs> we <Yeah>. see it. <laughs> uh, and it it does seem kind of weird to me that Irons has all this space to have a huge workshop with this kind of technology in just in the middle of the Metropolis ghetto. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, well, I don't I, I don't question the fact that he has the technology because look who he used to work for. Right. But it just seems weird that he has all this space just out there. I don't know. I guess yeah. he must have earned a lot of money as an engineer. Exactly. I mean, even if he was – let's say he was Luthor's top dude, right? He's the top scientist, engineer, whatever, working for Luthor. He's still not making enough to buy some factory that's this big. I mean, it's several city blocks it looks like. Yeah. And then, you're right, in the last time we saw him, he quit his job, so he's got no income, and he's wasting all his money on building this super suit. Like, priorities, dude. You've got uh, your mom hanging around, or is it his mom? I, I want to, what did, what did she says, say? Gra- she says grandma, but it could be her grandma, and therefore his mom. Yeah. But it, I could guess also be, it could also be her great-grandmother and Steele's grandmother, but whatever. So he's clearly supporting this girl and an older relative, but he's squandering all his money building a super suit. You know, it's like, dude, go go get a new job, you know? Like, <laughs> you know, sell the factory while you're at it, too. <laughs> yeah, really. Hey, here's another question I have. Was that police car supposed to be a Pinto? Because it exploded after barely touching the other car. <laughs> I mean, it just kind of nudges the other car, and it's like, boom! Any listener under, like, 10, hell, I say 15, isn't going to get that. <laughs> oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Oh, Jesus. There was one line that I actually really liked. Uh, looks like the Erector set has a bigger brother. Yeah, that was kind of funny. I like that character. Just this throwaway character, you know, that, that I don't think we ever see him again. He has a couple of good lines there, and he does a good job trying to play tough. Yeah. You know, he's trying to buy Steel, or excuse me, buy um, Superman. John Henry and Superman some time. So he's standing up to flipping Metallo. And the only reason he backs down is because Metallo threatens to break that one woman's neck. You know, so yeah. finally he gives away where Steel is. I, I, I definitely did like that character. Um, but again, for everything it does right, it does something wrong. Earlier in the episode, Metallo's goons had those same guns and they were shooting bullets. Later on, again, same guns, they're now shooting lasers. Clearly, clearly. Well, you know, I take. I was gonna make some sarcastic comment, but you, yeah, imagine <laughs> that. Um, but remember, uh, Metallos clearly says that they're working with Inner Gang and that he's they've upgraded his technology and uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe they got some dual firing weapon gizmo thingies. I but if know. you have a gun that fires a laser, why would you ever need a bullet, which is traceable? God. See what I'm saying? You can't trace a laser, but you can trace a bullet you put in someone's skull. And like I said, you can tell it's the same gun because the, I forget which guy, but one of the goons, it's he's holding the same gun. It's the same damn design from yeah. the bank robbery earlier. So I, I didn't get and, – and hell, they were shooting bullets at, at, uh, uh, at Irons. That's because remember they shot his – he was blocking the bullets, and then all of a sudden they're laser beams. Yeah. I, I didn't get that. Um – you know, I don't know. And then, and then here's another question: Where, and, and not where, but why would John Henry have a lamp like that just sitting around? Yeah. Like, well, hey, I have this ultra spectrum light that I can just happen to use on Superman in case he goes into a coma right in front of me. Really? <laughs> wow, that's an amazing coincidence, John. I guess that I guess it paid off for you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh Lord. I will say though that those were some pretty cool fight scenes with Steel and Metallo. Yeah, they were good fights. And the way it ends with the hammer being thrown right into his chest, and then he falls into the the street below with the hammer sticking out of it. That's cool. That's a cool visual. But you do realize they portrayed a black superhero murdering a villain. Do you see what I'm saying there? Uh. Am I reading into it? Sure I am. But think about it. Think about it. He, It looks like he murders Metallo. Granted, Metallo is a bad guy. He did deserve it after everything he's done. And he's a robot. Uh, of that's sorts. That's true, but he's got the consciousness of a human. By the way, we had two robot episodes. we got to do Robot Alert. Because we had sort of Cyborg Iron Man Venom guy. That's sort of yeah. a robot. Yeah. Um, so yeah, two Robot Alerts. But... uh it's still kind of murderish. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Oh, hey, hey, say... he gets <laughs> he gets Superman's seal of approval as the for the episode ending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, thanks for you know killing Metallo for me, buddy. I could couldn't have done it without you. <laughs> well, I mean, you could argue that Superman has kind of sort of let Metallo die two times previously, well, letting him there's... sink to the ocean floor and then letting him like just in, uh, encasing him in lava. There's a big difference between letting someone die 
and throwing a hammer at his power source, knocking him outside of a building and into the street and leaving him there. Aha, uh-huh. you said power source, though. It wasn't actually a heart. So there. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, <laughs> splitting hairs, you know, it, it, it is his heart, you know. Actually, and actually, you know, on a serious note, it actually looked more like a heart than it ever has before. Yeah, it did. It, it looked like there were actual kryptonite veins holding the thing. That was pretty a pretty cool animation yeah, it was. Uh, choice. Mm-hmm. Now, this, what I'm about to say, is my biggest complaint with the episode. And hey, if you can explain this away, I'll, I'll bump this up at least a point or two. But I need to get this out there. Okay, I understand Metallo having his skin back. Because he says that Inner Gang fixed him, right? Mm-hmm. But why does he only have half his skin back? Uh, no clue. Uh, it was just recycling animation. Because if you think about it, when we last saw Metallo, he was, for lack of a better word, nude. Yeah. He was he was the Terminator. And now it's like he was at the beginning of... No, yeah, at the beginning of that episode when he's still... Wait, did he... Okay, well, it's like he was when he fell into the ocean. Yeah, the, the, very, first, the first time. Yeah, because it, it was weird, because I was wondering if when he ripped off the mask and tore open his shirt, if he tore his skin off then. But it didn't look like he tore the skin away. It looked like he just tore the clothing off. So I, I didn't know why Inner Gang would only give him half his face back. Well, yeah, and, and it would be kind quite the coincidence for him to have ripped his skin off in exactly the same way mm-hmm. it was shown before. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's it makes no sense at all. Yeah. Hmm. And... Apparently, Angela Chen does work for the Daily Planet. They refer to her as the Daily Planet's media news reporter. Wow. Yeah, that's what they call her. And, okay, if that's what she is, since when is she an on-the-scene reporter? She's always been the entertainment kind of fluff reporter. Yeah, news desk lady. Yeah. But but here she's out on the scene interviewing Bippo. And now someone could claim she's inexperienced because she is clearly inexperienced out there. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't her job before. She was the person behind the desk. I, I don't know. It was a little... I wish they'd get her job straight. Does she work for the planet? Does she not? Is she TV? Is she the paper? What does she do? Yes, it's a nitpick, but still, just be consistent. That's all we're asking here. It's my, you know, again, with like Parasite. I Just do something. Make it consistent. That's all we ask. Mm-hmm. What, what else do you have to say about this one? Not a whole lot, really, because truthfully, it's a very straightforward episode. Yeah, it real. It's very, very linear. I mean, we yeah. have we have Metallo robbing banks. Superman gets involved. Uh, John Henry Irons just happens to be building his suit. He becomes Steel. He fights Metallo. Superman wakes up. He fights Metallo. They overcome Metallo. Game over. Right. Um, it's just a. It's a. You know. And it's not a bad episode. It's just kind. Of, it's okay. It's it's. Um, you know, with the three episodes we've had, we've reviewed today of Superman, one was atrocious, one was legendary, and one is just kind of there. Okay, do you want to do our scores then? Uh, sure. Okay, let me flip back to the first page. Oops, sorry. Here. Okay, so prototype. <laughs> baby chest. <laughs> we don't score with baby chest on World Fitness Podcast, sir. Oh, damn it. Okay, barring that, one. One, I'm going to be a little more generous and give it a two. (laughs) Okay, double talk. Eight. 
I agree with you on that one. The late Mr. Kent. Ten out of ten. I am actually going to give that one a nine, and that is solely for the helicopter thing. But See, well, I was sorry, I was going to say the I was actually kind of torn on this one too, but because of I I didn't like the Martha Kent stuff. Oh but, yeah, yeah. But you know I I just love the episode too much to to do that to even right. take a half a point off for that. I, I may come back to this one. This one may get bumped up. It won't get bumped down, I can tell you that. So look for that one to be rescored. Uh, you scratch my back. Uh, 6.5. I am... Wh- what was your original score for that one? You said you were going to bump that up. Uh, it was a 5.5. I bumped it up a point while we were talking. Okay, Um, that one gets a 7 from me, so our scores aren't all that different. And heavy metal. Uh, I'll give it a 6. Hmm. Might be maybe overgrading it. I might have to come back to this one, but I don't know. Okay, I'm going to give that one a five. I find it a little weird that, I don't know, from our talk, I got the feeling that I liked it a little more than you, but you give a higher score. <laughs> uh, I think it was a good, honestly, I think it was probably just, I liked the action scenes. I don't know. <laughs> I, but like I said, it's probably one I'm going to come back to. It's time. that karma. How? He's Superman. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss two episodes of Superman the Animated Series, those being Warrior Queen and Apocalypse Now, and three episodes of Gotham Knights. Never Fear, Joker's Millions, and Growing Pains. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. (laughs) 